Welcome, 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 Spark in the Dark podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Dan Matha, and uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm really, really excited to be here. This is the very first installment of the series, Spark in the Dark podcast. I uh, I just want to take the time right now, before we, before we get started, before I say anything else, I want to thank each and every one of you for streaming, downloading, clicking play, and listening to this podcast because there's not a lot of time in the day, and I appreciate the time that you took during your day to listen to this. Uh, means the world to me. This podcast is my baby. I love this thing, and I, I think you're going to feel and see that as you consume this content as I go on, as this thing keeps growing. A um, couple disclaimers, though, before we start this episode. I originally, uh, so I had a goal in mind. I don't want to get too deep in this. We could do this another time. I had a goal in mind that I was going to record 10 episodes before I uploaded these to the podcast streaming platforms. So I was like, I'm going to let this podcast incubate and grow on YouTube before I bring it over to the streaming platforms. And a lot of you that are listening to this that have been following me for a while, you are, you're like, duh, Dan, I already know this shit. But for those of you who are finding me on the podcast directory platform for the very first time, this is what's up. So I just want to give you a little context. This show was originally, uh, this particular episode was originally aired May 4th, uh, peak craziness of the pandemic. And uh, just to give you a little bit of context, also, you're going to hear me opening up the show with a different name than Spark in the Dark. Believe it or not, this show originally, original's name, original name, was The Drop. And uh, about five episodes in, I realized that we had a couple impersonators. I also realized that I wasn't going to be able to own the rights to the name The Drop because in 2010, there was a movie starring Tom, Tom Hardy called The Drop as well. So... One of the perks of not uploading this to the streaming platforms quite yet allowed me to kind of iron out some wrinkles and I had enough time to pivot with the name and I came up with Spark in the Dark. Spark in the Dark has, uh, that name in particular, has quite a bit of, um, it has a qu- quite a backstory to it, but I'll save that for another time because we need to get to this episode okay because there's no more time to waste that's what you guys are here for you're not here to just listen to me talk you know you want to hear what we're putting on this episode so my first guest tino piscatelli highly decorated athlete collegiate all-american second round draft pick in the nfl via tampa bay buccaneers wwe superstar and successful business entrepreneur there's not much this man can do tino and i dive deep deep into the business of sports the importance of leadership discipline focus skill acquisition and how all of those things are transferable into all endeavors in life whatever you're trying to achieve those things can help you be the best at that we talk about the woes of transitioning from top of your industry to then being low man on the totem pole in the your new endeavors the high highs of success low lows of failure we drop some life hacks on, you know, little habits that we have in our life to deal with that stress, to deal with time management, to help with skill acquisition and just kind of keep us at peace. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's just dive right on into this episode. Very first episode, Spark in the Dark. Dark. 
Hey, 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 yo, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Drop. I'm your host, Dan Matha, and I got my main man in the house, Tino Piscatelli. <laughs> What's up, man? Mr. Second Round Draft yeah. Pick to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Mr. Six Years in the NFL. <laughs> and I met this man in the WWE. What up, my man? I'm glad What's you're up, in the man? house. How you doing, man? Good to see you, bro. Thanks for having me on your show, first of all, and it's great to see you, man. How you doing? Doing well, bro. Good, doing good, pretty well, good. considering uh, the world's gone crazy and all yeah, the circumstances that wow. been going on over these past couple weeks. Did, let me tell you something. Did you ever think this was going to be the world we're living in right now in 2020? <sighs> I did not see this coming. Me either. I did not see the world shutting down over some f- flu virus. No, man, I really didn't. It's a uh, unique time, say the less, man, but... Uh, you know, hopefully everyone's staying safe out there. I like your beard you're growing out there, man. That looks good. I mean, I can't grow much facial hair, but uh, I haven't shaved in like six weeks. I'm proud of it. Yeah. I'm proud of it. That's uh, <laughs> But you're a real pretty motherfucker, you know what I mean? You don't need too much hair. <laughs> man, I can't grow it, though, you know? Trying to get that, accentuate that jawline a little bit. We'll but, see. You know. Well, see, honestly, when you got a nice, strong jawline, the beard, I feel like the beard takes away from You're right. It. You're right. But... The beard, for me, I got this thing growing because I was in that accident, you know what I mean? So I just started letting... Yeah, first of all, how you doing from that, man? Dude. How you doing? Let's just go on record right now. That was a miracle right there, man. I saw the car. I saw pictures of the car. So I'm grateful you're okay. I want to hear about that story, though. Um, Yeah. The So to be honest with you, I'm feeling great. You look great. I I mean I mean I've got some some tight I got some knots in my shoulders because my shoulders and my neck muscles those extensor muscles that connect into like to your skull into your traps my traps and like my rear uh, my rear delts are just they're not locked anymore they were locked they're starting to loosen up I've been getting some like massage treatment and I've been starting to train again uh, just keeping everything pretty light doing some yoga and getting some treatment done on them but considering the fact that I got ejected through a car window. Through a window. Uh, and not even a month ago, you know what I mean? Wow. On the 28th, it'll have been a month. I'm feeling great, man. And, But you know what? And I think this is overlooked by a lot of people, but you are obviously an incredible athlete, number one, but you take incredible care of yourself. You're physically, mentally so strong that that comes into play. I don't think people realize, like, you got injected from a car, yes, but you're six what six nine yeah 300 pounds yeah and you literally every single day take care of your body and it paid off i mean you went through a car windshield and a month later you're sitting here with me like i you have a couple scratches on you a little scar on your yeah. head it's going to build character but you know that people hard to kill people overlook hard that to kill. people overlook that and i think that's the value of because i know i've always lived my life by that i've always been a big believer in um taking care of your body and the body will take care of you um, so that's right. There's a, a proven point right there, man. hundred uh, percent. Your body's your body's your temple temple. 100%, you know what I mean? And 100%. I've been so I just want to put this on the record to like I feel like what happened that day, something bigger than me was looking after me and not like I don't want to get super spiritual. 100%, right now, you know what 100%. I mean? But like definitely something bigger than me was looking after me that day. One hundred. But with but without a doubt the way I've taken care of my body over the years is definitely coming into play. Played a huge it, factor. A lot of people were like, you know, you're big and you're strong. You just take care of yourself. It has, you know, that's why you made it out the way that you made it out. And I, you know, I've been training hard since I was 12 years old. hundred percent. Yep. Uh, yep. then nutrition comes into effect. Like I haven't, I don't, 
if it ain't if it ain't good for me, I ain't putting it on my body. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like as I got older in the game, I started learning more about nutrition. I mean, it's been over ten years since I've had pop, pop or any type of me fast either. food. Yep. I only eat stuff that's from the ground, that's coming from earth. And like, I know everything that I put in my body. I know everything that I consume. I know the way I train, you know, I've never missed a day of training since the first time I scavenged a weight bench from the trash. You know what I mean? (laughs) People used to ask me all the time. And it's, it's funny. A very wise man once told me this too, though. Somebody asked me one time, how do you stay in such good shape? You know what my answer was? And the best answer I've heard is I never let myself get out of shape. And that's the key. Key to anything is consistency. Like you said, consistency is what builds anything that's worth building. And like you said, I haven't missed the word. They used to lock the gym on me in college. Like literally on Saturday morning, I used to try to sneak in and they would lock the back door because they knew I would sneak in in college. (laughs) Um, But like you said, it paid off. And I'm glad you're sitting here, man. We're having this conversation because uh, I saw the car and the car wasn't that good. The car car did not win that battle. I'll tell you that right now. You won the battle. The car lost that battle. (laughs) Yo, I went to the, they, they, uh, they rushed me to that trauma center. I got in there at like 830 at night on a Saturday and I walked. Locked up out of that place at 11.30 a.m. the next morning. Wow. Mm-hmm. Walked out? Walked up out of there. Ubered home? Uh, no, I had my boy come pick me up. Got you. I had my boy come pick me up. Wow. Uh, I um, And it was crazy when I was walking out of there, the nurse that was taking care of me that night, she goes, Darling, I've been on this floor for about 16 months. You're the first person to come in here that hasn't had to have multiple surgeries or go ahead and die on me. Wow. And when she said that to me, it was just like, not that I needed more to put everything into perspective because, you know, the weeks and even, I mean, dude, I mean, it was only not even a month ago. I'm still thinking, like, I still, like, I'm not shook about what happened, um, but I definitely, like, think about all the scenarios that could have happened, right? And there's literally a thousand scenarios that could have happened and the only the one that happened has me sitting here right now able to talk to you and everybody else that's listening to this it's amazing isn't it like i can literally tell you all the different scenarios that could have happened like i could have gone i could have not made it through the window hit somewhere in the car hit top bounce, of the roof or something top of the roof broke yep. my neck bounced around in the car my arm could have got stuck my leg could have got stuck snapped in half amputated i could have I could have went through the window and landed on the road and got run over by another car. I could have got hit. You know, the vehicle that hit me also, I mean, it could have been a semi. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a whole different, like, there's so many See, that's what happens, though, when situations happen. You start rolling through your mind what could have happened, and you have all these different scenarios in your head. Let me ask you the question. The car that hit you, was everyone okay there? Or is that how was that car? Yeah, they were okay. They had uh, they had like a, something with their leg, nothing too serious. The guy, because they were in the room next to me when I was like, it was a crate. Like when I was in the trauma center, I'm like strapped down, and I could hear the guy in the room next to me, and they were talking, and he had something with his leg. I think he may have like broke his leg or his ankle. I'm not exactly sure what happened, but he was, you know, he was okay. He was a little shooken up from like the accident, obviously, because it was a super intense situation. But he was he was fine, and like I had just taught, we're dealing with all the insurance crap right now. So did you get the information, the speed of the cars? Yeah, sixty miles an hour. Hold on, what? Sixty miles. 60, an hour. He was going sixty. Yeah, I was going sixty-two, or I was good. So it was estimated fifty to sixty miles per hour. Wow. Yeah. Man, you are blessed, man. And like I said, that's credit for how good you take care of yourself too. Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> wow. Collision sport. I've been playing collision sports since I was twelve years old. 
Absolutely. And then I transitioned right from football into wrestling. So it's like I've been, you know, little little mini car accidents every game, left and right. Yep, left and right every single day for the past nineteen years, however long it's been. Wow, you know, so definitely has something to play. But I can't honestly. You said you saw the car. People that have been on my Instagram account or all the sites that once I posted the picture, mad sites picked up like the situation. So a lot of people have kind of seen the car wreck. And uh, when you just look at it, man, it's just like there's no way. There's no way I'm supposed to be here right now, no matter how big I am. You know, wow. like I'm, I'm a big mofo, but not bigger than, you know, a thousand plus pound vehicle moving 50 miles an hour colliding into another thousand pound vehicle moving 50 miles an hour did they say how far you landed away from the car no they didn't no so uh i don't know all that honestly the last thing i remember is thinking that there was something i was like this is a weird intersection and then the next thing i remember is waking up on the concrete and looking and there was like three people over top of me and then there was people everywhere and like i'm bleeding and there's like kind of chaos and i'm like trying to figure out i'm trying to like figure out what just happened so you were running that scenario through your head but so how was the collision of the two cars if i'm trying to look at my head you were driving like eastbound he was driving westbound or how that how that so i was driving through the intersection and uh he collided me perpendicularly so he collided right into my uh driver's side front end front end okay yeah because if you see in the picture the wheels on the front end got just wrapped around and one of them fell off so there was no stoplight there was no stop sign so uh from what i was told there was a stop sign but as i was so i was approaching this intersection so i'm i'm like 30 minutes from orlando where i was at i was going to pick up these end tables for the studio for the podcast actually and uh, (laughs) i was on the way back home and i'm like i'm driving down this rural road and there's no side roads or anything it's just a long road it's 7 p.m at night i remember being super bright suns in my eyes and i'm coming down and i'm approaching this intersection and i'm thinking to myself you know i'm preparing to stop because it's like it's an intersection you're most likely going to stop street light stop sign whatever I get a little bit closer and I don't see a streetlight. So then I get a little bit closer and I don't see a stop sign. And I'm like slowing down to prepare to stop, but I don't see it. And I'm thinking to myself, that's weird. There's not a stop sign here. But in like Florida, they have intersections where only one direction has the stop signs. Yep. So when I was like, that's weird, I just like automatically assumed that that was what it was. And then the next thing you know, you know, wow, I'm waking up with people all over the place. And I'm bleeding and somewhat, you know, I got up actually. And the lady, you know, in the middle of the three goes, she like told me her name, her profession. I don't remember her name, but she was like a nurse. And she was just pleading with me to stay still. Cause she was just like, we got to keep you immobile until, cause everybody thought my neck was broken. That was like, they just thought, cause like, I mean, I don't know how many people get ejected through a car window and don't have like something broken. Right. So wow. they were, that's like the first thing in, a, in a, any type of major trauma you get taught, like, you know how it is with football and wrestling. We got taught if somebody has any type of, like, head or neck injury, you got to keep them immobile until, Absolutely. like, the doctors yep. and stuff get there. So, like, that's obviously what they're trained to do immediately. So, that she was pleading with me to stay still because I got up. And then I, the next thing I remember, I'm getting loaded into the ambulance by the EMTs. And then that's where my memory starts coming back to me. Um, and the EMTs, I remember, because, like, I'm strapped down, like, to a Couldn't board. Move, yeah. My neck's like immobile i'm in a big harness and i'm just trying to figure out what happened 
And surprisingly, I was staying super calm. I don't know if that's just because like a lifetime of being in super intense situations where it was just like, I just intuitively knew that like, you got to stay calm. You know what I mean? Even in wow. the craziest situations. But I was just, I could sense, and I could sense, and I don't know if that that's where this like, uh, maybe this where pro wrestling comes into play where you're just like performing in front of these people and you start learning how to like feel a crowd's energy and stuff. So you and felt then, their energy, huh? And like, I'm feeling the people's energy and I can feel that they're nervous and tense. So then I was like, yo, I got to keep these people calm so that they can work on me, you know? So wow. like that was, so I just started questioning. I was just like, what happened? Where am I? And then they told me, you know, you were in an accident and you were ejected through the front window. And at which I was like, oh, shit. And then uh, they were told me they were worried about, you know, I had a huge laceration on my head and they were worried that my neck was broken. And so the whole ride to the the trauma center was just, it was, it was pretty intense. Um, I was just trying to stay calm. I was definitely a little, like, I was definitely, there was some fear there, you know, because it's like, I don't know what's happening. I can't even move. Mixed emotions, man. Yeah. Wow. Well, I was just like, I can't even move at the time. You know what You're I mean? You're trapped in so tight. To even know. Like, I want to try and move to feel. You were trying like, to test your own yeah, limbs. I'm trying to test. Yep. I'm like moving my hands and my feet and everything. And I'm moving all my limbs and everything and trying to show them that, like, I'm, you know, I've got everything. And uh, I got into, so when we get there, it was like a seat. We got to the trauma center. There was a team waiting for me, bro. Oh, man. Uh, like they were waiting and you know, it's during COVID, right? COVID-19. So everyone's got masks on and I get in there. It's like a scene from ER, you know, just boom. I get in there poking, prodding, running every test that you could imagine that they ran on me. And then we're waiting to get into the CT scanner. And that's when they were saying they were worried about my neck and they were like, I could, I could sense in there that people were nervous too. So like I was trying to tell some jokes in there and like so the nurses were, you know, were cute. So, you know, I'm flirting with them a little bit, you know what I mean? Good old Dan, flirting with the man. nurses a little yeah, bit, you know what I mean? I figured I could ease the tension Rico a little Swally bit. over here, man. <laughs> and uh, so they threw me in the CT scanner and they did a full length scan of my spine, my brain, my pelvis and my left elbow because my left elbow was jacked up. And after they did the scan, they took me out and I waited about 20, 30 minutes and... Uh, the doctor comes out and he comes into the room with the with the results and he goes, I don't know who you are or where you're from, but there's nothing wrong with you. Wow. He was like, and I was like, I asked him, I was like, nothing? And he was like, nothing. He now, was I, like, he's like, no breaks, no fractures, no brain bleeding. He was like, you've got a nasty gash on the top of your head. He was like, and you got a concussion and you got some road burn on the left side of your body, which I had road burn on my left shoulder my left elbow, my hand, and my ankle, and, and my ass to my left. Oh, bro, my left ass cheek. I got so much skin. I got, got so Superman much skin ripped right up off now, there, man. bro. I got I got so much skin taken up off there. Wow. But, um, so you stayed overnight. I stayed overnight. overnight. The crazy thing, though, is leading up to the CT scan, I had this weird sense to me that I was that I was okay. Now, did they give you any? like numbing medication when you first got there? Because when you're waiting to go on a CT scan, were you, like, you said you were doing all your own tests, right? So could you feel like you were okay or did you feel like something was tight? Did you feel like, were you worried? or like, did you? Like, well, I knew my neck was on fire, bro. Like the like muscles and was, shit. Yeah. I knew they were on fire. You got to think of they all locked up. Oh, I mean, bro. And honestly, those muscles saved me, bro. 100%. Those muscles, 
Those doing all those head, like all that heavy work, working that that posterior chain. What about all the bumps you take? What about all the rolls mm-hmm. and the flip bumps? Like that strengthens your neck tremendously. Yeah. Every bump you take. I've been training my neck too, for even for like from football on. I've been very fortunate to you know I started training when I was twelve, and you know I trained on my own for like the first year. My boy uh, and his dad, like I was in the seventh grade at the time, his dad had a gym in his wife's salon's basement. We did like a bro split down there. It was my first time I kind of had structure. But then in the eighth grade, I had uh, a great strength and conditioning coach for my high school, Erie McDowell, Joe McGorian. And he just set the foundation. He just had, you know, these scheduled workouts Four week waves of just like the fundamentals. I remember those, four, you know. And we just we break, just yeah. lifted and we trained hard and we just you know Monday was like a max upper, Tuesday was a max lower, Wednesday off, Thursday was a dynamic day, and then Friday was like an Olympic uh, lifting day. And then we had the weekend off, and it was just like we would come in there, we would train hard as hell every single day, and I just like I took that serious because like. I knew that if I got better at this, that I would get better at football, 100%. which would like increase my opportunities to yep. get up out of my situation, get a scholarship and then move on to like my, you know, to my dreams of pursuing Absolutely. professional football. So it was just like, I, ever since then I've just been training, you know, and I've been training. I've been, I, you know, I'm not just hitting like the, the look muscles. I'm not just hitting biceps and abs, you know, mm-hmm. I'm hitting posterior chain. I'm hitting glutes. I'm hitting hamstrings. I'm hitting low back upper back traps i'm working my neck i remember having a neck being taught like if you train your neck you're going to decrease your ability or you're going to decrease decrease your chances of having a concussion so i would like train my neck two three times a week all the time and i did that through i've done that till this day yeah and i think all that stuff when i landed because it you You know know, i think all that preparation your whole life Prepared you for that. In a sense, it <laughs> yeah, prepared bro. you to go through a window. 20 years of grinding, bro, saved my life. 100%. Uh. <laughs> 100%. Listen, you said, you said, obviously, you said earlier in the conversation that there was another power there that you believed yeah. something different. And I believe that too, absolutely. But, and I don't know what you want to call it. I don't know what you yeah, want to call it. You call it whatever you want. You call it God, you call it the universe, you absolutely. call it a mystical power. I don't know. I, I'm not saying beliefs. that I know what it is because I don't know what it is, but I tell you that there was something. 100%. But you taking care of your body for 20 years at a high, high level paid off. Hell yeah. I'll tell you something, quick story on that. I, I was, didn't nowhere near your, your accident, but I had an accident about four years ago. I was in a Tahoe and uh, a hydroplane off the road and it was nowhere in the road. It was about midnight and it was pouring rain. And all of a sudden I kind of hydroplane the first time and I caught it and I was like, okay, let me slow down. All of a sudden a hydroplane and a car hit me in my back end and I started spinning in I-95. Oh, damn. And I'm spinning and I'm spinning and I'm spinning. And all I kept thinking was like, please, someone don't hit me. Please, someone don't hit me. So as I'm spinning, as I'm spinning, I'm like, here we go. I like just, I was like, here we go. I embraced for the worst. And I literally remember locking my body to the backseat of my, my Tahoe yeah. and holding as strong as I can. All of a sudden I hit the wall. I locked myself so hard that the airbag came Touched my nose, barely, like didn't even barely touch me, oh. and went back in, right? And I was sitting there. I was holding so tight that my imprints in my hands was in the steering wheel. Oh, that boy had that gripper. Literally. That boy had that gripper. Like, so then, like, the cop showed up to my dad, and I called my trainer the next day. And it's the funny thing he said that his first thing he said to me, he goes, Savvy, he goes, I was going 85 miles per hour, too. Okay. So you got to think about hitting a wall going 85 miles per hour and not moving. And Tahoe, from the, too. And Tahoe, not moving from the back of my. I remember pinning my head. Literally on the back and like going like this and my like I literally remember holding that position while I hit the wall, right. and 
I remember my trainer made a joke. He said, if you weren't so strong or whatever, he said, athletically so gifted, he was 90% of people cannot hold their weight against, against of a back of a, a chair going 85 miles per hour. And again, I know he was making it as a joke, but it does pay off when you take very, very good care of your body. When you're in a situation of stress, your body knows how to react and it could cope with it better. Yeah. You know, all the roles you do, you might not even know it. Your body might have reacted as you were injected through the car to know the role. And maybe well, you rolled instead of smacking yeah. down on the floor. Well, dude, that's like something about that I think all athletes should learn is learning how to fall. 100%. Because there's going to come a moment in your life where you get knocked off your feet, lose your balance for whatever reason. You know what I mean? 100%. And you are going to need to know how to fall and land gracefully to keep yourself from hurting, getting hurt. And I, uh, I, um, I, so through context clues of me trying to put together everything, my elbow was pretty jacked up. So I think what happened and this, I have no idea what really happened. Cause like I told you, this is weird. No stop sign. Oh shit. Where am I? Like that? Those are literally, there's nothing in between. You don't remember a sound. Nothing. In between. People say they remember sounds and accidents. Bro, no, you hear I don't sounds. even remember. Like it wasn't like, Oh, you know, like, Oh shit. Oh, oh sh you know what I mean? Not like last second snapping or turning nothing, dude. It's he literally nowhere. It's literally, that's weird to like waking up on the concrete. Wow. And, but through context clues, I look at, you know, what happened, where I have the injuries, everything, all the road burn I have is on the left side of my body, oh, nothing on the right side of my body. And my left shoulder felt jammed. Like, you know how, if you've ever fallen and braced yep. yourself yep. and yep. your shoulder jams up, it felt super jammed. And my, like I said, my elbow was jacked and I had like glass all in like my left wrist where my pinky is and like that. You had glass? That area. So you yeah. think that went first? They had, they had, yeah, they had. So I had a little bit of a cut over my left eyebrow, but they, they just used, they didn't even stitch that. They put a little bit of glue and honestly, you can't, I can barely even notice that it's there. I don't there. even see that. Yeah, you probably, yeah. It, it healed up super quick. All my cuts have healed up super quick, which is a cr is crazy in itself. But when I lay, I think what happened is I went through the window and I braced myself with my left arm and like rolled onto my shoulder. And I think that that's where my head snapped onto the concrete and just, cause it looked like somebody stuck my head in the back of a, right into a freaking uh, a garbage disposal. Oh. Cause it is like the spiral little frat, like the spiral gash that's in there and it really? just like ripped off. Yeah. Did you land on the road or in the grass or did they say that? I don't know. I think the road cause I had like gravel and glass in my arms and shit. So you got to think if it's your left side, car hits you on the left side. So you probably got hit and went like almost that way. That's... <sighs> I can't even, honestly, I don't even know how the physics of any of it happened. I don't even know how you fit through a windshield, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, Seriously, me, dude. Like, I don't know how my, me, how do you fit through a windshield? I don't even know how my legs didn't get, my legs didn't get caught. I didn't, you know what I mean? I just, I just don't know. Like you, like you said, <laughs> if you go through that windshield a hundred more times, I mean, like you said, something might happen. Leg get caught, arm get caught. I don't even know how, you, when you told me, I was like, hold on, you went through the windshield? Yeah. And I'm talking to you right now? Wow. Listen, I'm just glad you're okay, my man. Me too. Congratulations, blessed, bro. blessed, man, blessed, bro. We are, and you know that puts everything in perspective. It really does. You mm -hmm. know, it puts life in perspective. What really matters, the things you got to just take advantage in every single day of your life, man. Yeah. Be grateful. Well, that's like when you know, with everything that's kind of been going on in the world, and then everything that's happened with work, you know, with the WWE, with all the releases. When I got released, people were like reaching out to me and like saying, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, blah blah blah. Which one? I asked for my release. So it was like, 
I didn't really feel that bad. I mean, I was like the frustration was like months before, which had culminated to me asking, asking for, for my release. release. Absolutely, yeah. But like, even if I didn't ask for my release, it's like that would have been that wouldn't even been the worst news I got in two weeks. You know, the worst All thing that happened to me in two weeks. Like, I'm grateful to be alive right now. Like, I'm here talking to you, and not just alive, because like honestly, there's things that could have happened to me that would be worse worse than death. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like Absolutely. I could, I could be, I could be only able to communicate through moving two fingers. You know what I mean, or not able to move my being in a vegetated state right now. Dude, there's a lot of people I know. I'm sure you know people that were in car accidents that are in that state of mind. Dude, of mind. what's his face? Tavares Jackson. He passed away, dude. And that happened, dude. It happened a week after. It happened a week after I had my accident. I played against him, by the way. Yeah, I played against him in Buffalo and Seattle. Yeah. Crazy when you were with Tampa Bay. Love Tampa Bay. Uh huh. It's crazy. I heard that story and I was like, at first, the name ring a bell, right? Yeah. And then I looked on the ESPN article and I saw him and I was like, wow, I played against him. Well, and that's so. That's the thing is like, yo, he's an elite level athlete too. Hundred percent. He didn't make it. So it's like all this shit we just got done talking about me being an elite athlete, taking care of my body. You know, I I'd like to think it helped and I think it did to an extent, but at the same time, you had no power. Man. I don't think it did. You know, yeah. I don't know if it did. Listen, man, you you were blessed in that moment. Somebody was over. Somebody was looking yeah. you over for sure. So uh, you're talking about playing against him, Tampa Bay. Yeah, it's the draft weekend right now. <laughs> it dude. is the draft it's weekend. The draft right weekend now. right now. It just a lot did. of young kids' lives are about Absolutely, to change. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. You know what? That was uh, that was a, a tremendous opportunity in my life. Um, kind of like you even spoke earlier. For me, my whole life, I wanted to be a professional athlete from mm -hmm. the day I could remember, five, six years old. All I wanted to do was compete. Um, I used to have this friend of mine who lived behind me. He was about four or five years older than me. And I remember one day I asked him the race. I think I was five. And he was like nine. So that's a big gap in yeah. a kid's, you know. So he smoked me, of course, right? No, 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 no. One more. One more race. Smoke me again. No, 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 no. no. One more race. <laughs> smoke me again, right? No, no, no. One more race. I was always so competitive. I was so competitive that... And sadly, now I have a great relationship with my brother, but back then I didn't because he was younger than me. Uh -huh. So I was always, you know, trying to compete with him. And he wasn't even that style, but that's where I was bred. Like I was born to be an athlete. So Your brother wasn't competitive. He wasn't. He was more passive. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That's and how I, my brother was. And, and I kind of look back now, and I regret the way I was as a big brother to him then. So I, but it kind of led me to be a great big brother now, if that makes any yeah. sense. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But just back to being an athlete, like I said I played every sport my whole life, man. I really did, and. I remember you were a great baseball player. I too, was right? so so. The funny thing was, um, <laughs> football was the last sport I picked up. I didn't play football until I was seventeen years old. Yo, this so, ladies and gentlemen that are listening to this, I just want you to know that football. Everyone thinks like, yeah, football, basketball have the greatest athletes on the planet. For in my sure, opinion. for sure. I don't even think it's an opinion. I think it's like it's pretty, a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. Right. Football adds another element of like physicality that basketball doesn't have. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? So, but football, as much as the ability, you know, God given ability and all the training that takes place, it is an extremely skilled sport. 100%. And like you have to be a smart player. You need, and some of it is like you just need experience. Like you need time you just said in it best. the game. You just so said it best. to pick up the game at what, 16, right? Is that 17. What, 17 years old and then to get picked up. By a Division One program, right? Barely. Oregon I'll State. tell you that story in a second. Okay. But it's just, I just need everybody to listen to this to know how <laughs> freaking crazy it is that you started playing at 17 years old, got picked up by a Division One team, and then had a freaking six-year career in the NFL. So 
I remember one time before I tell the story, I remember one time I was in the NFL, uh, I was in the coach's office and I walked by the office. And I don't know how it came up, but I said to the coach, yeah, man, I didn't start playing until I was 17. And he literally starts laughing out loud. He goes, man, stop playing, man. That's a joke. I go, no, no, coach, 17. He goes, yeah, right, dude. No one makes the NFL. And then start at 17. He pulled out a stat sheet and he said, I think it was like 93% of every NFL player started at the age of seven, the latest. Yeah. 93%. So that was, that's a quick story. But like you just said too was, um, yes, football was the last sport I picked up, but my parents drove me into every single sport. So it actually, it allowed me to mold my athleticism and really get my competitiveness when I saw so I jumped into a new sport. Mm-hmm. There's pros and cons to everything, like you just said. Um, yes, I was that athletically gifted. So I kind of um, beat the curve. But then uh, when I got to the next level of the NFL, the greatest level, you got to remember, those are the elite of the elite athletes, 1% right? 1% of 1%. 1% of 1%. So when I got to that level, then the, the, the cons started to come in a little bit of the experience of the game. And that's where I lacked. But that being said, that's why I was in the film room to 11 o'clock at night in college every day. Yep. That's why when I went to Oregon State, all I did was eat, sleep, train, and football. And all I did, everything I did was predicated on making money better. If it if the food didn't make me better, I didn't eat it. If uh, go, going out didn't make me better, I don't go out. Partying did not make me better. Drinking did not make me better. Smoking did not make me better. And that's the way I looked at everything in life because I knew I wanted to be a professional athlete. And I fell in love with football and I fell out of love with baseball kind of simultaneously. So I didn't have to sit and make a decision because... The decision was made for me by just playing the both games. Like in high school, in, I mean, in, in Florida, high school football was first and yeah. then baseball second. So I had a, I started my junior year, my first year, and I was kind of just like a little kid running around, right? I didn't know nothing. I was just an athlete running around. So I played okay. I had some flashes of maybe flashes of special player, but nothing, no, no one really talked about it. And everyone knows to get highly recruited for college, you have to really have a good junior year. Mm-hmm. That's what teams notice you. And then yeah. going in your senior year, they're watching you and then they offer you scholarships and you go on. So junior is my first year, so I had no one looking at me. So I come in my senior year and I kind of like come out, come out of nowhere. I actually got defensive player of the year in South Florida. Um, I led the county interceptions. I had zero offers on national signing day. Damn. Zero. Damn. And I was defense player of the year. And I remember watching my mom cry. And a scout told my mom, I'll never forget this. She told my mom, if your son was African-American, he'd be able to go to any college he wanted in the country. Okay. And that was the first time that I remember watching my mom cry because they didn't believe that I ran a 4-4 in high school. They didn't believe that I was as quick as people were saying I was. They didn't believe it. Especially at the position you play. There's, played a, there's a reverse stigma. 100%. There's a reverse stigma in football 100%. where, like, if you're playing receiver, you're playing D-back, you know what I yep. mean, and you're a white yep. boy, you know. White boys don't fit. White boys don't play, you know, because you can't white run. White boys don't fit. You can't run. So I remember my mom started screaming. She was crying. She hung up the phone. She said, oh, my son will be somebody special. And I remember I was sitting in the kitchen, and I was sitting there. And at this time, I was actually getting recruited for the pros for baseball. When season started, but I didn't, I didn't love it no more. And I knew I didn't love it no more. Like I didn't love baseball. I loved football. So I was getting recruited and I remember my baseball coach pulls me aside one day. And this, this is probably what changed my life forever. Pulls me aside. And he says to me, he says, uh, 
goes, listen. He goes, uh, so um, the situation that I actually think changed my life really was my high school baseball coach pulled me in the office. And he said to me, he said, uh, Sabby, he said, uh, forget with that football stuff, man. He goes, listen, man, you're, you're a white DB. You're a white safety. Doesn't happen. Doesn't fit. He goes, maybe you'll start one year in D1. Maybe. He goes, listen, you got the Baltimore Orioles and you have the Boston Red Sox scout here almost every day looking to watch you hit BP. Give that football stuff up and focus on baseball. You're not going to be able to play football at a high level. What do they want you to play? What baseball? What, what do they want you to play for baseball? Outfield. 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 Because outfield. you can run, bro. So, so You can run, so you would be covering mad ground. So the funny thing was, um, I was, that's actually, um, the thing with baseball, I'll just touch on that for a second, was, see, I only, I played every sport, right? So I only played baseball like three months a year. And hitting is consistency, right? So I would bat 400 for 10 games and look like a pro and then i'd bat 200 and strike out twice a game because i just couldn't get the consistency down but if you watch me at bp you'd be like oh man this kid's got this kid's got it all i would literally put on a show like so i was still very raw at baseball but there's baseball is a lot of mental right and you know you come from football you can't duplicate the rush of football when you hit somebody and you hear people just go crazy and you hear the the body just uh, and you just it's like a adrenaline rush it's, it's a drug it's really is a drug yeah. so like i said then when i say when i coach when a coach said that to me he didn't have he didn't have the right to tell me you're not gonna make it over here so come over to baseball i remember sitting in that chair and looking at him in the eye and i said really only play one year Took that as a challenge. Three-year starter, All-American, second-round draft pick. And I take those moments, and I'm grateful because those moments molded me into the guy I was today, right? Mm-hmm. And that situation challenged me. And, you know, um, you just said it's kind of a reverse stigma in football with a white DB, right? Yeah. And most, listen, half my best friends are African-American. You know, Rashad Evans, Ray Lewis. I'm blessed to have such tremendous icons my best friends, but I was in a part in life where I was not the norm. You know, I was everything to say, this kid's not going to make it. So I guess that's what fueled me every single day. You know what I'm saying? And challenged me every single day to get better. Um, And I remember as a young kid, Dan, that everybody might say they want to be a pro athlete, you know, little kids on the playground. I remember at a young age, I had the ability to actually think what I had to do to become a pro athlete. Like usually a 12 year old or 13 year old doesn't say, okay, I can't drink. Right. I can't party. I can't smoke. Um, I'm not going to chase girls. I'm just going to focus on this craft. Usually you get that as you get older. And sometimes people never get that at all. But I was at like 12 years old thinking to myself, okay, I was writing down like, okay, I can't do this. I can't do that. Never touched alcohol. But it wasn't because I was trying to be better than anybody else. I just was like, listen, is that going to make me better? No, it's not. So that was my mentality growing up. And like you said, I, I was very fortunate to be a second round draft pick. Um, I played six years in the NFL. Uh, to my standards, my career was not where I wanted to be. But again, I, you got to walk away grateful <laughs> for the opportunity. But it is what bro, it is. Bro, that <laughs> is literally the most asinine thing <laughs> ever, bro. But you know, the expectations you have for yourself. I know. I know. As, uh, you know, an atypical <laughs> type of personality where you're hyper competitive. Like, Absolutely. You know, the standard is 
for yourself is like no nobody is a, a worse critic than you are absolutely like nobody like when people would criticize me it's like listen i already know like you can't like I'm, nobody's gonna criticize me like i'm nobody's like, harder on you than no, you yeah listen no one's i'm in the film room i'm in the room absolutely. i see everything i'm doing i'm spending more time watching film than i am practicing i'm watching 100%. more film studying play, the playbook more than i'm actually playing the game like i know Absolutely. I know what I need to do. I, I know that the little things that I'm, I'm, I'm lacking on because I'm studying myself so that I can be the best version of myself. Absolutely. And it's like, I'm holding myself to a stand. You know what I mean? Like if I'm grading out at 95% on the day, like that's a bad day. hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like, and as you go up, you know, once you get the, cause it changes as you go. Right. You know, mm -hmm. in high school, you're the hardest worker in your high school. Right. And then you go to college and you're uh, you're a big fish in a big pond. Absolutely, and then it's like you start. You thought you were a hard worker, but then you get there. You look around and you see the the guys that are starters and top players on the team, and they're working at a different level than you. Hundred percent. So then yeah. it's like, oh, you start looking at them, seeing what they're doing. You're mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, I got to start doing whatever these guys are doing so I could take my level to the next game. Then you you get there, and then you know hopefully you take your games that you have to a different level you have to continue to grow and transform for sure and then that takes you then to the next level that you get to same thing is going to happen right 100 same thing's going to happen it's like starting over starting yep. over every single time and it's yep. like okay i've got to you know i've got to take myself to like i was the hardest worker before but now you know there's guys who was there who were the veterans uh at tampa bay when so you got when there? i was drafted um Derek brooks okay was the big you know the, and i remember Funny story about Derek Brooks. Obviously, I was a huge Florida State fan growing up, you know, growing up in Florida. And I remember the first time I walked in the locker room, I saw Derek Brooks uh, walk across the locker room, right? And I remember I was like in awe. I was like, that's Derek Brooks, right? Derek Brooks. Legend, right? And I remember just standing there and he was walking and he, he goes, What's up, young pup? So there's like that. What's up, young pup? What's up? <laughs> and, and I remember, and I remember like, he walked his locker, and, I, and the funny thing was, I remember thinking to myself, man, he's not as big as I thought. Because you know, especially when you're a kid, you think like pro athletes are like gods. Like you think yeah. they're larger than life like yeah. when you watch them. You think like that's not even a human being, right? So then you realize when you're actually in the locker room, you're like, oh, he's just like one of us, right? So actually the funniest story, the other person was there was uh, Warwick Dunn. Okay. He married Warwick Dunn, yeah. right? Yeah. So I have a funny story about Warwick Dunn. I want to tell you real quick. Again, that was the first jersey I ever had in college. I had the 28 Florida State jersey. It was so big on me. I look at pictures now. I'm like, how did I wear that? But I wore it. <laughs> I'll never forget first day. Um, we signed him after my first year. So it was the first day of off-season workouts. And we're, we're warming up. I'm in, the back, I'm in the back of the line. And I'm, and I'm lacing up my cleats. And uh, it's early morning. It's probably like 8 in the morning. The dude's still on the field. And the line's going. And the... The, the last guy in front of me was maybe about 20 yards away because I was tying my shoes. All of a sudden, I, I feel a tap on my back, right? And I turn around. And as I turn around, I don't see nothing because I turn around like at like eye level. And I look down, and there's work done. You know, he's not that tall. Right. But he was like my idol. And I turn around, and he goes, young pup, what are we, what are we doing here, man? What, what's, what's the stretches? And I remember freezing up, and I didn't say anything. And I was like, that's work done. <laughs> I said that out loud to he laughed. And it was my second, it was already my second year in NFL. Okay. And, but it was like, so you'd already been around NFL players. I was already around, year, but right. Warwick Dunn, I never met. And that was like my childhood idol. Okay. I'll never forget as a running back, I was a huge Florida State fan, Peter Warwick, Warwick Dunn. Those were my guys. Okay. Um, 
But you asked about the leaders. Like, so, yeah, so Derek Brooke was the leader. Cato June was the leader. Jeff Garcia. And it's funny because you speak on that. My best year in NFL was 08. And that was the year I had the privilege to start with Derek Brooks. And I can't even put into words when you're on the field with a guy like Derek Brooks, the leadership, the icon, you don't want to let him down, man. Right. Like, you, you, I, can't, I can't even explain to you, Dan, how, like, I was so afraid to make a mistake for him. Right. Not for me, not for the fans, but for him because he... His expectations were so high, and but he was such a great, great leader verbally, physically, and it was to a T where, like, if we knew it was a three-yard run, we knew whose fault it was in a, in a defense. So, like, for instance, if it was a three-yard run and over three, and he went through the A-gap, and I was supposed to have the A-gap, all he was walk by, he would say, pick it up, Piscatelli, but he would say it at a part where, like, yes, sir. You know, yes, sir. You knew that, let's go, man. Don't don't let yeah, the we'll icon let down. down. And, and I remember... I remember him actually talking to me during plays. Like, the ball would be snapped, and he'd be like, fall back, fall back, fall back. And I would fall back, and all of a sudden, the running back would be right in my face. Bro, that's that next level shit. Dude, that's you, that look, I got goosebumps, man. <laughs> and it, it was, and again, it was like, you know, and, and that's what, when I, when, I, when I look back, and I'm so grateful, and I'm so humbled and thankful that I can say that I had the privilege to share the field with a Derek Brooks or a Warwick Dunn, you know, or Warren Sapp, like those are icons of something we all looked up to. And yes, me as a competitor, you want to be that. And even if you don't reach that, you just still got to sit back and say, you know what? Nobody could ever take that accomplishment away from you. Because I've always said something, and I still believe this to this day. The greater your achievements, the harder your failures. Let that sink in for a second. In my opinion, the greater your achievements, the harder your failures. And what I mean by that is this. The more successful you get, the more expectations you put on yourself, the more expectations people put on you, right? But the more they put on you, it doesn't matter what they put on you because they might put expectations that you might never reach. So all of a sudden, you never reach their expectations, but now you're a failure or now you're a bust or now you, well, hold on. First of all, if I, I get so angry if I hear anybody get called a bust because if you're be called a bust, that means you gotta be somebody great to be called a bust right. because you gotta have hype behind you already to say he was a bust, correct? Yeah. Like nobody's gonna walk in and say this, this that, that average Joe's a bust because he was a no. No, so for me, that's what I had to learn. It, it took me years to let go of football because I was angry that I didn't make the Pro Bowl or I didn't make as much money as I wanted to. And that's the mistake I made. That's the ego though, That's bro. the ego. But see, no. now you let go of it and you learn from it. Well, dude, this, so this is, this is something that I, I've learned over the years is because, um, you know, I kind of had a similar mentality, you know, that very, you know, you have such high expectations for yourself and you keep yourself, you, you hold yourself so accountable and you start thinking things are, you know, you don't reach these expectations. So you start thinking that you're a failure or that you've, you know, that you weren't as good as you were. You could have been greater. You have these like feelings of remorse and guilt, but what you're really doing is you're robbing yourself of one, what you did, because 100%. what you did is astound. Like you in particular, and other people out there. That Not to cut you off though, but I saw on your Instagram that you were all decade team on your on your school. Let's talk about that for a second, man. Yeah, that's impressive, bro. I saw you all decade team on your on your college. I don't yeah. care what college you went to. Yeah. Not to break your train of thought, but I yeah, mean, you accomplished some high, high, high accolades in football yourself. Man. Yeah, man, I was so I was a guy that 
had a shit ton of hype out of high school. Uh, like I made uh, first team associated all press two years in a row in wow. Pennsylvania. You know, I could have went, you know, it'd be easier for me to tell you the schools I couldn't have went to than the ones that I could have went to or there you go. than I could go to. And there was a lot of hype behind me going places. And for a while, you know, when I, tra- you know, I went to the University of Pittsburgh, I didn't play for the first three years that I was at Pittsburgh. I didn't play. And some of it, I had an injury. Some of it, you know, I was my own worst enemy. And then there was some other thing, you know, I could, of course. I could, I could point to different things, you know, my recruiting co, you know, coordinator at the time left right after my first year, which is important, you know, for you young guys out there, 100% for you young guys out there. The guy who recruits you is important because he's the guy in the film rooms, he's 100%. In the coaching rooms that when it's coming down to deciding this guy over this guy, those guys are fighting for you Dude. because they recruited you. So it looks good for them so you got guys fight so that's important but i didn't you know i did you know i could look at all these different things and and blame why i didn't play and i was hard on myself because eventually i came to the the realization like instead of blaming other people i blame myself instead of pointing the finger at this and that and being hurt or this guy like you know politics and this all the different excuses that come with i pointed the finger back at myself and i said if you're really this guy that you say you are, if you're this guy that holds yourself accountable, this guy that is just like trying to be the 1% of 1%, like you would have these things that you said that you wanted, right? And maybe that's an unreal expectation to have, but that was my thought process. And so when I made the decision to transfer from Pitt to IUP, Indiana University for uh, of Pennsylvania, for those of you who don't know, uh, I decided that I wasn't blaming anybody else anymore and I was only blaming myself. And when I did that, it changed my life. Good for you, man. And I was able to, when I went to IUP, I was able to flourish there. I was able to be my truest self. I was able to end up becoming those things that I was supposed to do. And like IUP is a division two school, you know, and there's a stigma that's behind being a division two athlete. But once you get to that top level of division two, once you get in the playoffs, there's just all division one guys. There you, go. you know what I mean? Yep, yep. So, and IUP is a very story division two program. So I was super honored to be named on that list, especially an accomplishment, man. Yeah. So I, you know, I was, I was very proud. I was very honored to be a part of that list. And, uh, you know, it just came through, you know, years of hard work and discipline just kind of came to that culmination of, especially that last season that I had with that team. It was just, you know, we were one game away from the national championship. That's awesome. And, you know, I was a leader on that team. And that was honestly above being an all American above being, you know, Gene Upshaw award finalist. And then even above, you know, that all decade team award. The thing that I'm most proud about that year is being elected team captain by my peers. That's awesome. You're right. I, I, yeah. That's awesome. To man. me, that means more to me than anything. Because that means that, because that means I was a guy because in football, like it's all alpha males on that t- on a team, hundred percent. It's all egos, and like if you're gonna be barking and demanding people to to be to hold themselves at like accountable and hold themselves to a level of excellence, you can't have any holes in your preparation 100%. because they will they'll find them and they'll point them out and they'll be like, "See, look at you. You did this, or you didn't do this." So like that was being a, a leader was one of my. You know, being a team captain was one of my greatest accomplishments because that meant, what was it, 50, I don't know, 180 guys, I forget how many guys, 80 guys on the squad, 80 guys on the squad thought that I should be a representation, I should represent them. 
I should be the guy that goes out at the coin toss. I should be the guy that like corrals them when they need to be. And I took, I took that job very serious. I, I love that to be that for my teammates. I like being able to lift people up, you know what I mean? And motivating people and holding people accountable. Cause I'm, you know, I'm crazy. So I'm not afraid of conf confrontation yeah. because I, I remember the very first football team I was on Bay city Spartans. And, uh, we, we ended up being really good. We were a really good team. We had some really good athletes. That next year I was on a team that wasn't that good. And nobody kind of stood up and, like, demanded that we play good. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I leadership. hate losing. Oh, man. But I wasn't mature enough at the time to realize that, like, no one else was doing it, so I should have done it. But I remember that feeling that I had and – and I just was like, I'm not ever going to let that happen again. Wow. And so from that point on in my career, like from my, in my football career, I like if I felt like people's energy was down, I felt like people weren't like holding themselves like they weren't holding themselves to the standard necessary to be, you know, a champion. I was going to call you out. And in that process, I had to hold myself to that same standard. Of which dr drove me even harder to be in the weight room, drove me even harder to be in the books, to watch film and to give effort and to never give up. Wow. So like to me, all that, you know, the all decade team was great, but like being a team captain was the greatest accomplishment I've ever had. That's just listen to you speak right now, man. Just it like flashes stories through my head and I just reminisce on stuff. And first of all, I got to say, I couldn't agree with you more. It's I, rare in this world, dude. It's, it's rare. And, and, and I see it as I get older and I get into other jobs and other professions outside. Like leadership. Like You're a born leader, man. Leaderships, leadership is a, is a highly underrated skill and it is, it is hard to find. Because you can't fake it. You can't fake leadership in my eyes. Like you just said, I think... I was also elected a captain my senior year in college. And I think what that shows, like you said, is you earn their respect for them to tell you you're our leader. Yeah. Like, and like you said, what you touched on earlier, a football team is all alpha males. Mm -hmm. You ain't, For an alpha male to get submissive, that has to be somebody they look up to, somebody they admire them on and off the field their work ethic the way they approach the game the way they approach their every the way they approach everything in life yeah. and it's funny you say that because when i was elected captain my senior year i remember that my first thought process was that i didn't let them down meaning that i worked so hard for two years as a starter and i accomplished so much in those first two years in college that they look to me to lead them. And I took that as, like you said, motivation and as a compliment, right? And I remember I could refer to, let's just fast forward to 2009 real quick, everything you just spoke about. In Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we were the, uh, you also touched on earlier about your coach in college that recruited you left. People asked me what was my turning point in my career in the NFL. And it was the day that Coach Gruden got fired from Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He was who drafted me in the second round. I was his guy. I was his guy. He loved me. And I look back now, when they fired John Gruden, they pretty much cleared house. That's when they let go of Derek Brooks, Cato June, Warwick Dunn, Ike Hilliard. You, you don't really, in my eyes, I thought you don't let go of a guy like Derek Brooks. He helped build the franchise. But the fast forward to 09. It's a business, bro. It's, it's a business. It's a business. Right. And I didn't know that. I was only 25. Right. And at that time, you just said something about leadership. And I remember 2009. 
We let everybody go that was a leader the year before, literally, because they were getting too old, they said, in NFL standards, correct? But all of a sudden, we had a whole bunch of young, up-and-coming stars, they said. Okay. I was in that category that I put the hype on. I had the banner on the, the, banner on the stadium. I had my jersey sold for two years. Um, they pulled me in the office telling me, listen, Piscatelli, we want to make you the face of the franchise. And all that's great at 25. And you, you're on cloud nine, right? But I look back at 09. And we had no leadership from within. The Derrick Brooks was gone. The Warwick Dunns were gone. And I will tell you this right now. I never had a worse feeling on a team in that locker room than I ever felt in my entire life. And that's a bad feeling. And just to kind of piggyback on what you said about how you took pride in a leadership, a leadership in a team is so important. It's so vital to winning that people don't realize that. You could have, you could take the the top 12, or the top 11 alpha starters on offense and the top 11 starters on defense. And if they're not on the same page and they're not clicking and there's not a leader that's taking charge, I'm telling you right now, it doesn't matter how good you are. So, Kudos to you being a captain of your team because honestly, man, like you said, Dan, that's an that's an incredible accomplishment from so many levels, man. Greatest, greatest team game ever, football. By far. The skills that you learn as a football player will care when if you commit to football, if you commit to being even if you don't go further than playing in high school, because a lot of you out there that are listening to this, you may never get past most of you probably won't get no, past won't football. Get past. And if you're privileged enough to be able to play in college, great. Those skills that you learn, that the the character that you build, yep. the camaraderie, learning how to work with other people, learning to know when to take the lead, and more importantly, knowing when to take a step back. 100%. Because to be a great leader, you have to first become a great follower. Yep, I agree. And like, there's a time and a place for everything, and you learn all of those things in sports, and you do that under great stress. Yep. And that stress creates anxiety. But like, game time comes; it doesn't wait, no matter how much anxiety that you do have. And when it comes, and you play, and you compete, that anxiety goes away, and then you perform, and you do your job, and you either win or you lose. But at the end of the game, you learn that that anxiety ain't shit. Nothing. That ain't shit. And that you went and you competed. And if you gave your all, whether win, lose, or draw, you know that you can you can you can accomplish anything. You can do anything you set your mind out to, no 100%. matter how scary, no matter how daunting it may be, you know that you have what it takes to do it. Yeah. And that's what team sports, that's in my opinion, that any type of sports, team sports in particular, we're talking to football just because I believe that football is the greatest team game that there I agree. is. And they're just, it's a skill set that I think every single kid should play and learn. And even if you only play till high school, man, don't ever take that. Don't ever take that for granted because it doesn't matter if you grab, you know, you're done. If you're done when you're 18 or if you're done when you're 30 years old, like at some point, it will some, always end for everybody. That's for sure. At some point, someone's going to tell you, son, can't play no more. Hang it up. And the you know what? Over. I 100% agree with what you just said about football and the team camaraderie. But I actually think sports in general for kids growing up is is so important and so vital because it teaches you so many avenues of life. Now more than ever. More than ever now. And I think me, like all I, all I knew, all I cared about was sports. All I ever dreamt, talked, anything was being the best I could be at that sport at that moment. Yeah. Right? And it molded me into the man I am today. 
Yeah. It really is. And I agree. I, I say that in a business aspect of me, um, anything that I think I, I flourish in is because of the way I was molded in sports. It kept me out of trouble. It kept me, uh, some of the best friendships I have are from my high school football team. Some of my best friends I have are my college football team. And I think if I had to pick one, the most purest game was college yeah. from the camaraderie of it. Yeah. Uh, the team chemistry, the love, the support, the leadership. And it's the reality that the NFL is a business. It's a multi-billion dollar business. And when you get there, you feel that. But in college... Those are your informative years, bro. Exactly. You're growing. You're coming in. Exactly. With a, you're coming in with a group of dudes who are boys. Because you're, you know, you may have a man body, but you're a boy when you're 18 years 100%. old. 100%. percent in college, you, you're not ready. You're not. You know, no. you think, you know, you just got done getting grounded. Yeah. You know? <laughs> that's why. You just got done getting grounded, that's bro. You you're not a man yet. You can't go from high school to the NFL and football. That's the only sport you can't go from. That's why basketball, you, you know, maybe you can. But football, there is no way. I don't care who you are. There's not a, there's not an athlete in the world, I personally think, is ready to go from high school football to the NFL. You, you, you'll. It'll be done. It, so like you said, it's you turn in from a boy to a man in those three or four years. And you do it with a group. You know what I mean? You do it with your teammates, right? You got older guys on the team that you can look up to if you got a good team. Then you got the young guys that you came in with that you grow with. 100%. And then you have, hopefully, you got good coaches that can kind of That stay with you. you that that stay teach with you. you. Yeah, that stay with you and they teach you. You know what I mean? They teach you how to learn. They teach you how to be tough. The coaches, they push and they press and a good coach knows how to push all your buttons to get the most out of you and then you got your teammates that you're coming up with and you just develop a, a bond with them you know what i mean you've got a group of men working towards a common goal and like that does something to you 100 that does something to you, you that's invaluable invaluable that you can't you'll never learn anywhere it. else nope. You know, and I say men, but it also, you know, women too for sports, 100%. whatever sport, you know, yeah. the female sports as well. It's the same thing for women. You know, it's all the same. It's just get into a competitive, to be a fully well-rounded human being, you've got, you got to, you know, find some sort of art, life. find some sort of art that you're into. You know what I mean? Whether it's performance art, poetry, drawing, painting, writing, find, you know, do whatever, find your passion, find your study, then find some sort of competitive endeavor. And like, that's how you really fully round yourself as a human being. I agree. I, I listen, I can agree with you more. And we, I think we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours because we <laughs> both played. And I also think that this might not be a time to touch on this, but I think this is a story in itself, how vital coaches are to little kids, young men, teenagers, on how they mold themselves into men. And I think I didn't really realize how a, college, uh, a coach can dictate a negative or a positive mm -hmm. reaction of a child, like you said. I think a great coach is the ability to be able to adapt to every single player and coach them differently. Because listen, you can't coach me... So, again, this is something you touched on just momentarily that I want to kind of reiterate is that I think it's so important for children to be in sports, but I also think it's so vital what coaches impact they have on young athletes, high school athletes, college athletes, and even pro athletes. And I think sometimes um, these coaches have to realize the kind of impact they have on a six-year-old or a 10-year-old or a 12-year-old or 50, or even a guy, 18-year-old. Because me, I know personally, um, through my career, uh, there's a lot of factors 
that are out of your control in your career. You know that. Yeah. We've all been through that, correct? But having a coach and a good relationship with a coach, I think, is very, very important. Very important. And I know my defensive coordinator in college, why I was very, very fortunate and blessed to have a great college career for a couple of different reasons was one, I was in the same defense with the same staff and I was lucky to go like this because literally the, the, my defense coordinator was like, was like my second dad. I would go to his house every weekend. His wife and I, would they would cook me dinner. We'd have a Sunday dinner together. Got a coach like we'd that. watch football together. And at the time, I didn't, I appreciate it, don't get me wrong. But then when I went to the next level and I didn't have anything even close to compare to that, yeah. I realized the impact that coaches can have on student athletes negatively and positively. So I've always wanted to, and I think I will one day, I want to write a book because we've been through a lot, you know, yeah. even us as young men now. I mean, I'm 36 and I've, I've been fortunate to be in two different professional industries. I've been blessed to be in NFL and I've been blessed to be in the WWE. And you see things and you grow from things. But I also think it's very important that we touch on coaches because sometimes coaches, they take the wrong approach. And we all, you could probably tell me some good coaches and some bad coaches mm -hmm. you had. And we all can go through it. What would, so I'm, I'm glad you brought this up. What would you tell young kids that are, you know, that are fortunate enough to go from the high school level to the college level in the recruiting process? What would you be telling them to be looking for while they're being recruited by these schools? Because mm -hmm. I can tell you, I did this recruiting process by myself. I didn't mm -hmm. have my parents with me because they didn't know and I was off on my own doing it and I had a little bit of help from coaches but I was trying to figure this out making major life decisions on my own and I just I knew I wish I would have had somebody or something to kind of tell me you know what to be looking for what would you tell these young men and young women what would they be looking for when they're going to that next level what what are the important things to be looking for well the first thing I would say because I think we all make this mistake is don't look how big the stadium is I think I did that. I think we all did that. I think as a student athlete, you need to look at three things. You need to look at education. And I mean this from the simple fact that, like you said, how many people are going to make it to the next level, right? Very few. 1.001%. Mm -hmm. So when I say education, pick something that you know you can enjoy chasing your dream, but get a good education. Number two, I felt like, for me, write down and make your mind up what you want to be in a sense where I know everyone wants to be in the NFL, right? Yeah. But what do you have to do to be in the NFL? Don't go to a school because it's a party school. Don't go to a school because you think there's a lot of hot girls. Mm -hmm. The best thing that ever happened to me, true story, was I went from Florida, South Florida, some of the prettiest girls in the world, <laughs> to Oregon State. Corvallis, Oregon, in the middle of nowhere. I'm telling you right now, I was so focused <laughs> that I had nothing but the focus was on football. You can't even, you don't even know if there's a girl or a dude because so, they're covered. They got a raincoat, rain jacket brother, on, you know what I mean? Brother, and I look back now and I'm like, I wanted to go to Florida State. And if I went to Florida State, I would have never molded into a 6'3", 225, running a 4'3", 4'4", 40 at safety because I wouldn't, applied myself as much as I did and dedicated myself. So I guess the question what you asked was go to a school that is going to allow you to focus on your craft, focus on what you want to do. Listen, if you want to go to a school where it's a lot of hot girls, a lot of party and play football, 
Cool. If you think, okay, I want to play football. Because the truth of the matter is this, Dan. When you go to a college and you dedicate yourself to a football organization, your college career or your college experience will not be the same as the student that does not play sports. Hell and you no. and I both know that. Hell so no. if you're not gonna even close. if you're gonna commit yourself for four years, at least commit yourself with a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So I even tell some people when I went to college, like they were out there messing around, doing around party. I said, What do you what do you do? Oh, I'm not gonna make the NFL. I would actually say don't play college football. Yeah. Because you're if you want to experience college, experience college. But if you want to dedicate to your craft and mold yourself, go to a school that's gonna allow you. If it's maybe being closer to home so you can go see your mom and dad on the weekends, it maybe if it's a a, a school where I don't know. Maybe it's 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 gloomier and dark where you have to kind of focus on just being in the weight room and studying. You know, because sometimes you go to these schools, Arizona, Florida State. The reason why they're the biggest party schools in the world is because there's sun, fun, you know, mm -hmm. and it's a lot of hot girls walking around. Arizona State, dude. Arizona, Arizona State. I went to, I took a visit to Arizona State and I went there on my visit. My, my host showed me around. They had swimming pools outside the dorms. Bro. Unbelievable. I was walking through there and I go, I cannot go to school here because there is no way. I already had a hard time. I didn't really take school serious till my junior year. I wasn't really a school guy. It yeah. just wasn't my thing. But I saw, I knew, I was like, I will fail out oh. right away. There's yeah. like, I'm going to put my book bag on and go to class at 8 a.m. and I'm going to walk by and there's going to be oh. some sexy chicks in a swimming pool. You think I'm going to make it to class? Yeah. I ain't going to make it past this swimming pool. You know, let me tell you something. <laughs> so I cross them right up off the list. I cross them right up I'm, off the list. I'll tell you right now, I am so grateful that God put Oregon State in my life because I'll be truly honest with you. When Oregon State called me, Dennis Erickson was the head coach that, at the time of Oregon State. Okay. And Dennis Erickson was a well-known name because of what mm -hmm. he did with you, Miami, right? So he was a well-known coach. I didn't even know where Oregon State was. I got off the phone with him and Googled it, right? I looked at the stadium. I was like, I literally said to myself, huh, that's okay, but I'll, that'll do. I read about it, and I said, you know what? This is my biggest offer by far. All I said to myself, and I told my mom this, I said, I need to get my foot in the door in a big university, and I'll do the rest. I remember sitting there saying to myself, I don't care about partying. I don't care about girls. All I care about is becoming the best college football player. And some other advice I would give is live in the moment. And I say that because everybody wants better, right? Yeah. Everybody wants to make it to the NFL, right? Yep. But nobody's living in what they're accomplishing in college. If you're even if you're even dressing for a Saturday game, that's an amazing accomplishment. Mm -hmm. If you're starting, if you're running down on kickoff, if you're playing a snap, that's a heck of accomplishment. Live in it, soak it up, and 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 live in it. And but yes, it's okay to hold higher standards, but enjoy the moment. And I didn't do that. And I remember my mom telling me, Savvy, calm down. Look what you're doing at Oregon State. Look what you're doing at Oregon State. And I, no, I don't care. Play the NFL. I'll go to the NFL. I'll go to the NFL. And I remember, this is what changed me. Quick story was, you know, you have senior night, last game of the season. Yep. So we had senior night, and I was the second to last guy to come out. The last guy was like a hometown hero. His name was Joe Newton. He was a big guy in Oregon. So whatever. So they were announcing everybody one by one by one by one by one. And uh, I don't tell the story to brag, but I tell the story to, to be humbled, but to tell you an example. So they're, they're announcing everybody. All of a sudden, I step out. 
and they announced me. And Dan, I am not even exaggerating. The stadium erupted. And I'm talking about, I couldn't hear myself breathe. And all of a sudden, like I, I remember stepping on the thing and the team went, and it just, the whole place was so loud that I ran to the center of the field and I hugged my mom, I hugged my dad and I was crying and they were like, can you hear that? And I they, I couldn't even, then all of a sudden I see the last guy run by me, Joe Newton. And I'm like looking around and you couldn't hear his name get announced. And the reason why I said that story is this, I was entertaining those fans for three years and I was, they loved to watch me play and I didn't appreciate it. Like I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I wasn't grateful to them because I, I was so worried about being a first round pick or a second round pick that I didn't appreciate how wholesome those fans were. And I get like goosebumps now and I get a little tear up because I, I'll never forget that sound the rest of my life. And I remember that I, I was, I was upset with myself because my career was over and I was about to go to the draft and I didn't sit and soak up that I put on a show every Saturday in Oregon. And the people genuinely loved me. Like they genuinely loved me. And I just and I just remember saying to myself, like, this is what my mom was talking about. So the best advice I would give a kid today going into college and college football or pursuing any dream of college, yes, set a goal for the NFL, set a goal for wherever you want to go. But please, every accomplishment you do, soak in it. Yeah. And and, and just just soak it up because tomorrow's not guaranteed. Look at you in a car accident a month ago. Man. It's not guaranteed. And um, those moments are, are, are little accomplishments every day that you got to pat yourself on the back and then get back to work. But you got to pat yourself on the back. Mm -hmm. You know, I always say I had a coach teach me this. And uh, I always say this now. I tell any of my, you know, my young friends or anybody, you know, even my old friends probably need to hear this, too. Some of them. You get 24 hours to celebrate a win. And you get 24 hours to soak in a loss. And when that's up, then it's on to the next that's one. great advice. But you do... You got to stay, you got to enjoy the process, you know? So to all you young kids out there, what my man Tino here is trying to tell you is don't be worrying about the equipment. Don't be worrying about the flashy gear, how many people go to the school, the size yep. of the stadium. Find a coach that is going to fit your style of play, that is going to put you in the best position to get you to the next level if Absolutely. that's your goal, right? So if the NFL is your goal, you probably want to play for an NFL coach or someone that has an NFL-style system. Then you want to make sure that you vibe with that coach. You know what I mean? That maybe his teaching style is going to be conducive. Because I've had coaches I've had coaches that I've loved to death. To this day, my favorite coach, guy was like, you know, I used to think he was like a big brother, but he's really like a, a father figure in my life. I respect this dude so much. His style is not for everyone. There are certain kids, and he knows this, so he knows when he's recruiting certain kids. But, like, for you out there, you got to know certain coaches, the way they teach, they may be great coaches, but they just might not vibe. The personalities might not vibe. Yep. So you need to know that. You got to do your homework. That's why you got to talk to these coaches when you get the chance. Be face-to-face -face with them. And don't be afraid, you know. I know you're young, and you're not. You're used to having authority kind of, you know know better and them to approach you and they kind of talk to you and you speak when spoken to but like you're entering a world of like half amateurism half, half amateurism half professionalism and now it's time for you to take that next step question them ask them things ask them hard questions about you know how you know to get to see get their personality out of them and you be you around them 
Be genuine around them so that they can see who you are and then you can see how they react to you because that's going to be very important. That's the best advice, I think, right there. Vibing with the coaches, I think, is a number one thing. And then uh, very important. Then another thing also, the school itself, the city, you know what I mean? The education. It's like, listen, you got your... It's going to end someday. Hopefully it doesn't end until you're 30 and you're rich and you got a pension <laughs> yep. and your 401 case fat, pretty, you know yep. what I mean? Yep. You know what yep. I mean? And you ride off on the sunset forever and you got no more bosses. Whenever you do, you know, whatever it is you do, you do it on your turn. I hope that happens to everybody. But the reality to the fact is that that's not going to happen. So you need to set yourself up to be in the best position to win for life. And that is what Tina was saying. It was knowing what the school is you're going to, what they're good at, what you know, whether it's business, 100%. whether it's arts, whether it's science, whatever it is, you've got to be able to t- like be able to be uh, in a place where it will facilitate those things for you. Yep, that's, that's great advice, man. It really and then is. be intentional. Live in the moment. Live in the Not moment. Everyone gets to play in front of twenty thousand people. 30,000 people, 50, even if it's just 10,000 people, you get to play in front of those fans every Saturday for six, 12 weeks, you know, every year, like just take that in, live in that moment, be present because the second you're thinking, the second you're thinking about the NFL, the second you're thinking about something other than where you're You're at, you're robbing yourself of the the present present moment. moment. And then you're going to look back one day and you're going to be full of regret, wishing, I wish I would have experienced this. 100%. And I promise you one of the greatest life lessons I ever learned was looking in a man's eye that I love dearly, who's older, and when I was talking to him about making a major life transition, asking him what to do, you know what I mean, whether I should go for it or not, which I already knew the answer, but I just needed to talk to the man, right, because I love him and I respect him. He told me to go for it, go for your dream. But when it's not the words that he said, but when I was looking at him in the eyes, I knew that he was telling me because that's what he would have told him his younger self because he was full of regret. That's awesome. And there was regret in his eyes for him not taking the leap of faith to pursue the things that he wanted. And I promise you, there's nothing sadder than a man eyes full of regret. So I want to touch on that for a second. You brought that up. I think regret will be the worst thing an athlete or a man in general will have to live with for the rest of their life. So my one of my biggest advice I give now, and my thing is I, I when I'm done, whatever it is I'm done with, I know I'm done with football, whenever I'm done with wrestling, there's I, I want to talk to kids, I want to give back, I want to publicly speak about this stuff because yeah. one of the number one things I will talk we're about, doing right now, bro. the number one things I will talk about is regret, and this is why I say this. Me personally... I always looked at me as an athlete was I never want to look back and say, I wish I worked harder. I wish I applied myself more. I wish I went to the weight room more. I wish I studied in the film room more. I wish I was in better shape because I knew I would never be able to live with myself knowing that. And you know what? Those five categories were always checked. I was always the first guy in the weight room. I remember I used to work out group in the summer in NFL. I was the only guy that would show up on 4th of July or that day after 4th of July. Everyone would go out and party. I would show up. No, 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 don't. And that's what they knew I was going to be special, they said to me. And I remember because I didn't want, every time I walked in the weight room, I wanted to outwork everybody. Not because I wanted to show off, because I wanted to look back and say, man, I would have had a better season if I just worked out harder or if I studied harder. So, and I say this to say to say this because, so the touch on, when we talked about regret, you never want to regret that. 
Here's the fact, and this is the truth. This is the hard, cold facts that I'm going to say right now that we don't talk about when we're kids, but this is, this is the truth. Especially when you get to college, and I think really when you get to the pros, if you get that privilege to get to the pros, there's going to be factors that dictate your career that will not be in your control. And I'm sorry to say, it just will not. But the things you can control is how hard you work, how hard you dedicate yourself, your effort, your determination, and your will to win. So my thing is this. We talked about, you talked about your guys said regret. Don't ever regret not working hard enough, going to the gym, or applying yourself in a sense where if it doesn't make you better, don't do it. Because you will run into something in college where either the coaching staff will change, um, You'll be put in a scheme or an offense or a defense that doesn't fit your strengths. You'll be on a losing team. Uh, a coach won't like you for no reason at all. Um, especially when you get to the NFL, uh, you might have a guy that was drafted higher than you that they're going to give a better chance to. I guess the point I'm saying is this. The things you can control give 100% effort and no regrets. But there's things you can't control. Don't worry about those. Don't stress about those. But those you can live with. You know what I'm saying? Those you can live with because you know in your heart that you did everything you could to be the best player physically, mentally, and you approach the game at the highest level at all times. So that word you said, regret, just got me fired up a little bit because I look at some of the people I played with in the NFL and as talented as they were, they couldn't stop smoking weed or they couldn't stop going out every night. And that's okay, but if you have something that consumes you, that changes the outcome of what you worked for, you got to get rid of it, man, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. You know, so, I, and I don't care what it is. So for me, that's why when I say no regrets, please don't, you don't ever want to look back in your career and say, oh, I wish I didn't party as much, or I wish I had the weight room more. So I'm, I'm glad you said that word, man, because you saw it in your, in your mentor's eyes, whoever the guy you respect. Yeah. And I think he, he has to live with that regret. And um, everything I've accomplished, Listen, I, I've accomplished tremendous amount of things, but I failed on the highest level. And I'll be the first to admit that. And I don't think, I think everybody that was that's successful will admit they failed at one point. And I think that's what makes you a real man when you can admit you failed. But the point is when you fail, you have to learn to get back up and fight another day, right? Mm -hmm. And to continue to do what you were doing. Because it, you it's can- It's hard to beat a man that never gives up. It's hard to beat a man that never gives up, 100%. And I think for me- you learn life lessons, right? And you learn that you got to humble yourself at sometimes. We all egos. We are alpha males. And one of my biggest things is I didn't humble myself one time. And I think we all been through it. And I think that's another advice I'd give a, a stud high school athlete or a stud college athlete. Listen, humility. humility. Now listen, when you step between those lines and that helmet goes click, click. No, no, no. They ain't no friends. <laughs> You you a bad man. Yeah. Now you a bad man. Right. You an alpha male. But when that thing goes ch ch and you take that helmet off and you go outside those lines, humility, man. He who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. And that that saying got smacked in my face in my transition between NFL and WWE. Because you want to talk about humbling, and we can get into this. I know you can ask a question, but you want to talk about coming from the NFL, playing in front of 70,000 people and getting, yeah. getting paid a lot of money to going to NXT where setting up chairs, setting up rings, uh, 
performing in front of 50 people. Yeah, you're talking about, so for, so you're talking about when you first get into, you know, to the WWE and the Absolutely. developmental program, we'll do these small developmental shows locally in Florida, you know, maybe two, three hours away from Orlando, depending on what direction. And what, what Tino's talking about is what we, when you get there, you set the rings up. Yeah. And, and you set the lights up, you set all the, th- like you do all the grunt work. hundred percent. Cause you know what it is? You're starting over on a whole nother industry. Yeah. And listen, you, you got to start from the bottom of anything. Yeah. And that's where I think everybody has to have a humility and humble themselves because most people, even you, you were a very successful college football player, right? And um, everybody that comes through NXT or even in that next program, um, they were great at what they did before and they mastered something. I'm sorry. They, they mastered their craft. Yeah. You mastered football. I mastered football. So now the reality is you're not good at this. Yeah. When you first step through those doors, you're not good at wrestling. You're not good at entertaining. That's just a fact of the matter. So that is a, a, a humble pie, a humble pill to swallow per se. Yeah. So that's why I say keep that word humility around because I don't care who you are. You will be humbled. That first round, Joe Burrow, who was the first pick of the draft on Thursday night, who went to Cincinnati Bengals, I guarantee you he will throw an interception and the guy will run it back six yards or 60 yards for a touchdown and he'll put his head down and that will be a moment of humility for him in a sense. You were the number one pick. So I guess the, the fact, the point I'm trying to make is Keep that humility wherever you go because you, if you're not, you, you'll, they'll humble you for it. The world you. will humble you. The, the world will humble you. The world you. has a it don't matter. funny way. It don't matter how big, bad you are, 100%. how brave you are, how much you're feeling yourself. The world will humble you. 100%. Um, so why don't we talk about, so why don't you explain that, that, pro, that transition from football to wrestling and like that time period uh what did like what did that how did that make you feel like coming from you know what i mean you're top of the world nfl athlete six years making mad money cars living good high status you know what i mean yeah nfl I, there's not really too many like other jobs outside of maybe you know politicians that have got more status you know <laughs> and some of them don't have the same status as nfl players you, so right. like you've got all of those things and now you're coming to the bottom of the barrel which you've touched on you're setting up rings you're doing dirty work you're driving to these armories small little community centers working in front of 100 people sometimes maybe yep. doing something that you're not good at 100%. that you suck yep. at you know what i mean yep. and like you're putting a lot of effort in but like that just because you're putting a lot of effort in doesn't mean you're going to be good at something, especially no. at something like wrestling, because it is so unique, foreign art form that it doesn't matter how great of an athlete or how great of anything you were before you got there. Like you're you're at ground zero, and like you just got to put time in the game before you get good at it. So you you said it best, man. Ground zero, and that's where you start. And I'd lie to you to say the transition wasn't hard for me. It really was. I was. My NFL career actually ended very abruptly out of nowhere. I actually started my last game on national TV, had like nine tackles against the Denver Broncos. And I walked out of that stadium that night, went into the offseason. And if you told me right there that was my last game ever, I would have looked at you and laughed hysterically. Just knowing what I just never thought it was coming, and it did. I was out like that. No sign, not even, not even a reason. Just all of a sudden, I was... In that window where it was six, seven years, too much money, you know, not a starter anymore. So we're going to draft young. He's too old. He's 30, you know, whatever it is. 
So mentally, I never accepted that. So I was training every single day, Dan. I was in, I was in lead shape. Actually, that was the time where I had the privilege to become really close with Ray Lewis, the mentor who changed my life from a mental mental standpoint. And it was the year they won the Super Bowl. I trained with Ray Lewis every single day. I had the privilege. Literally every day we trained for five months, six months. We rode bikes 30 miles a day. We One worked of the greatest uh, leaders of men. All time. Almost uh, uh, arguably ever. Ever. So he, I was, he helped my transition. That This is why I'm telling the story. So I tried to get back in the league. I thought my phone was ringing. I, I was looking at my phone every single day. Because I was like, there's no way my phone's not going to ring. I, I've never been cut. I was a starter. I was a second round pick. I was like, listen, man, I got to at least bounce around for a little while before I, my career ends. So for about a year, I worked out every single day. Every single day. I was in the best shape of my life. Never got the call. Years over. Baltimore wins the Super Bowl. Ray comes home. I'm really close to Ray now. Ray says, listen, here's my agent. One more year. Let's go. So one more year. Phone never rings. I'm making phone calls myself. Okay, so fast forward. WWE approaches me. At first, I was like, no, guys, listen, I'm still trying to get in the NFL. If I'm not ready in three months, call me back. They called me back in three months, literally to the day. So, oh, guys, let's sit down. We sit down. Fast forward. I sign with them. Um, and before I even start that story, I'm extremely grateful and thankful and humbled that WWE gave me an opportunity to continue to be a professional entertainer slash athlete yeah. and fall in love with another passion, fall in love with another dream. So that being said, um, I'd lie to you to say it wasn't a very humbling experience in a sense where you start at the bottom. And I'm talking about the bottom of another industry, <laughs> yeah. right? So you got to think, you master something to the highest level, and now you're not good at all. Yeah. And you really have to humble yourself. You have to go to work every day. You have to buy into a system that they tell you to buy into. And I was very grateful, and I, and I felt like I bought in. You know, I, I felt like I bought in. And yes, the first time I went to set up chairs, was it hard? Absolutely. First time I had to set up a ring, yes, absolutely. You know, I went from getting escorted to my car when I was starting with the Bucks. Police escort. Police escort, police to, literally, escort, to my car, yeah. to, to setting up a, an armory for 50 to 75 people. So if you're not mentally stable, if you're not mentally humbling yourself, you could really go off the deep end. You really can because it's, it's a mental struggle, you know, but you, you have a, an end game in mind. Okay, this is the end game. I'm in, a, in, a, in an incredible organization it is a privilege to be when wwe people's dreams is to be there so i put all that aside and i bought into a system i bought into something where i knew if i worked my butt off that i would get an opportunity to succeed on another professional industry on a tv base or a sense where it would be literally i could tell my kids that i performed in two different professional industries um so that as that transition started it was hard because I was horrible. I don't know how your experience is, but for a year or two, I was not good. Yeah. And um, that messed with me a little bit. And you take the coaching, you take the criticism. I don't read the media. I don't know about you. I, I don't, I stopped reading the media in 09 when I was the face of the Bucks and I was blamed for everything. Um, I just got bashed so bad that it, I was 25 and I wasn't ready for that. So I just got scarred. I just said, no, I'll never Google myself again. I'll never read the media. So I didn't read any of that, but that wasn't the hard part for me. The hard part was, all the coaching that I wasn't good um, and the sense where it was baby steps just to, to have a good match. And, and, and I remember the first good match I ever had was with Ty Dillinger. I'll never forget perfect 10. 
And I remember I went back to the back to the curtain and I actually cried. I cried because I was like, wow, I was actually an okay match. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I was like, I did it. Two and a half years of the struggle was tough. It's, and it's crazy about wrestling because you've come in and you learn, you learn the, like you learn the, the technique first, how to how to do the moves and the yep. sequences. You learn all those things in steps. Then you start learning how to like perform in in segments. Yep. This part of the match, you know the the, the you know just in the most basic level for anybody that knows these insider terms, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know a shine, a, a cut off, a heat, yep. a comeback, yep. the finish. Right. You learn. Then you learn it in each individual part. Then eventually you start putting those parts together. And then by that time, then you start having entire matches. But that process can happen anywhere from six months to like a year, year and a half in before you even start having matches. 100%, yeah. So like uh, you're putting in all this work and you're not getting any, any results, not seeing any results, not getting yep. any feedback back. And then it, it can be very demoralizing. Demoralizing the good word. Because you don't get that satisfaction of having a good match. And like your first match that you think is good. It's not good. And in retrospect, it's, <laughs> eh, you know what I mean? But yeah. it's good to you because you got reactions. And what happens is when you have that first time you have that match where you get those, those reactions, you feel good coming through the curtain the first time, you're like, oh, that's what I put in all this fucking work for. See, and you see, the thing is too is as we're talking in this conversation, we're sitting here, right? It's not like every other sport in a sense where, um, like, I don't know about, I know you are too, just hearing you talk. I'm so competitive that knowing that I'm not good at something eats me up inside. Yeah. And that's what, because I was always my worst critic when I played football, right? Yeah. Like you said, you don't have to correct me. I already know I messed that <laughs> up, right? Yeah. So when I got to that, the, the wrestling, and the thing is, like you said, it, there's so many moving parts to this. And I, I'll be honest with you, and I've told people this many times, um, I think professional wrestling, professional entertaining is one of the hardest things I've ever done because there's so many different aspects going into that ring. You're in a, playing a character, right? You are in a choreographed movement somehow. You have to memorize things. You have to communicate. You have to be able to stay in that character the whole time. So it's something that it's not just go out there the moves, it's not just go out there and be the personality. It's not just go out there and put on a good match. It's a box of things that it takes time to master that. And I don't care who you are. You touched on earlier. It's the experience level that makes you great. And you can't, you cannot cheat or fast forward experience. There's, there's no substitute for it. I'm sorry. You can be the hardest working man in the world. Experience is experience. And you only get experience by, by wrestling. So it, like you said, it was, I would say for a good two two years for me um, was a mental and a physical struggle, you know? And I think once I got over the benchmark of yourself, then there's, you you like just think you got phase one and then there's a hundred more phases you still got to go to. But you, you, you finally get good at phase one, okay, you go to phase two. You get good at phase two, you go to phase three. And I think the ability to continuously change and adapt is something that makes you a successful entertainer. And I think... Um, Guys like us that are so competitive, we put more pressure on ourselves. I know I did. And I think that was my hardest struggle was uh, not being good. You know what I'm saying? Not being good at the entertainment part. But growing, and as you grow, um, I think 
you will master something that you apply yourself to. I really do. I think you will continue to grow in something that you put your mind to. And once you have your mind made up that you want to be good at it, you'll be good at it. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like where we're at now. And um, obviously I could touch on my injuries and stuff like that. But the question you asked was just the, the mental struggle was, was for me, I think the best thing that happened to was me was sucking at first was sucking <laughs> and, and humbling myself. Yeah. I mean, and then everyone comes from different avenues. Yeah. Right. Um, but I think, uh, just the reality of it, man. It's hard to make seven figures when you're 23 years old. And then, you know, you start at the bottom of something. That's just the reality of it. it it's because most people don't start making seven figures until they're like 40, 50 years old. See, we did it backwards. Right. I'll never forget. I brought my first Maserati home. And it was a gift to me because I said to myself, when I become a starter in NFL, I used to I used to set a goal and reward myself if I got that goal. So I set a goal. I said, if I become a starter in NFL, I'll buy a sports car. And I became a starter after 08. So I bought a Maserati. So long story short, I brought the Maserati home. My mom, 26 years old. I bring a $100,000 car home. My mom starts crying. I said, Mom, what are you crying about? What are you doing? She goes to me. She goes, where do you go from here? And I'll never forget she said that. She goes, where do you go from here? You only can go down. And I was like, Mom, what are you talking about? Ferraris from Rolls Royces, you know? <laughs> Yo, I gotta get but, me a, yeah. I gotta get me a Bentley, but, Mom. But 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 she was so right because I'll tell you something, Dan. It's hard because I made the bulk of my money from twenty three to twenty nine, and I, I, I'm I'm fighting every day to get back to it. But you almost do it reverse backwards. Pro athletes, especially in football, and and here's the thing: is the windows is three years, and you see these big contracts on TV, right? That's like point zero 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 one percent. There's a stat, something like I don't know the exact number, but there's like a crazy number that that an NFL player that never even signs a seven figure signing bonus ever, ever. So I got that coming out of college, right? So you look at life, and you're like, okay. You're in your 20s making whatever, a million, 750, whatever it is. Great money. Whatever it is, half a million is incredible money, right? Incredible money. But how do you sustain that to your 30, 40, and 50? You really can't. So the best advice I got was- You found a way. Well, I'll tell you, my mom changed me, man. My mom is the most frugal person I met in my life. Frugal. And I remember she told me something. My grandpa told me something. Take care of two things in life, your name and your money. And I remember- that my mom was so frugal, Dan. My mom, I would tell my mom I needed deodorant. And she'd be like, okay, next week it goes on sale. Buy one, get one free. I was like, mom, I need deodorant right now. <laughs> oh, no, no, it's on sale next week. I'm being serious. My parents cooked every single night. They're amazing cooks. They cooked every single night because I think they were too cheap to go out. That's a true story. Yeah. My mom would stretch a dollar into $100. Long story short, I remember I'm 23, 24 years old. And what do I got to show up? They, they already know I make money, right? So I could almost fake, fake it in a sense where... I remember my, my financial advisor called me and said, hey, uh, this year you live like you made $150,000, right? Now, at 24, 25, that's a lot of money, right? Oh, yeah, it is. So I looked, so he says, yeah, you, you live like you made 150 grand. He goes, yeah, you made nine times that, though. I said, really? He goes, yeah. So I say that to people, you do that twice, and you can put away $500,000, $600,000. Now, your head start on life is so huge because you have a comfort blanket. And for me, it was always about my comfort blanket. I didn't care about, I, I, you, I did love a, a nice car. My big thing was a nice car and a house. That's it. 
and I had a nice couple of nice watches. But the problem is when you like everything, when you like nice cars, nice houses, nice watches, nice jewelry, going out and partying, nice clothes, now you're going to start getting in trouble, yep. right? So I always tell people, man, you live so far under your means, you'll, you'll never be poor. And being rich to me isn't about making millions of dollars. Being rich to me is having a blank in your bank account. Yeah. You can make 100 grand. If you live like you make 50, you're comfortable. If you make 100 and live like you make, or if you make 200 and live like you make 100, you're doing it right. And that's, for me, that was my biggest thing. And I remember my last year in the NFL, I invested, going into the offseason, I invested um, like 80% of what I made that year. And I didn't even know I was done. I thought I was, I thought I was about to sign a new deal. Can you imagine if I just spent that instead of investing? I would if I just spent it because I just was living the lifestyle. Because my, my career ended like that, Dan. Like I'm talking about out of nowhere. That's why everyone goes broke because they live a lifestyle right. that they can't sustain. So I always tell people, man, and I tell every young kid, even in this industry, when you start making money, listen, live like you're making half that and you'll never be broke. And that's my mom. My mom changed me when it comes to that. Like I know people in the NFL that made three, four times what I made and doesn't, don't have a million dollars in their bank account anymore. Like, oh, you made 15 million, you don't have a million in your bank account. You know what? Right. It, it makes scratch my head, but it's the truth. Hey man, people make fifteen million dollars and live paycheck to paycheck. I remember, so I was in the NFL during a lockout year, and some of the guys were panicking; they were going to get a check. I say, brother, what are you panicking for? Oh man, I need the first game check, man. I don't know if I can pay. So hold on, you live check to check. <laughs> Crazy. You make a hundred thousand a check. Crazy. Most people don't learn uh, like uh, monetary skills. That's that's most people 100% right. Most people don't know how to spend money or save money or how they should you know go about with whatever you know. I got like you said, you invested eighty percent of your check. The last year, your I, last check, right? I invested instead of spending. You were living, you know what I mean. You were living like you made one hundred fifty thousand dollars, but you really were making nine times that. It's crazy. You know, when you think like, about it. and to be honest, uh, like unless you've got like a family, especially you were a single man at the yeah. time, right? Single, twenty-four years old, one hundred fifty grand. I'm rich. Dude, I can do whatever I want. Dude, one hundred fifty grand as a twenty-three-year-old, twenty-two, whatever you were, dude. That's dude. You can have so much oh. and live so good. You, if you like going out, you could still go out. If you like having, if you like whining and dining, 100%. you can wine and dine. You got a girlfriend. You could, you know, you can, you can spend a little bit of money on her. You can have all the 100%. things that you want with that much. If you're, if you're pretty privilege to make that kind of money you can with that that's more than enough money to live a good life but the problem is is like we live in this culture we live in this society where it's like we put worth we put so much worth on the material things we put worth on money we put worth on on my car on my house on my jewelry yep, yep. on on this or that like i'm keeping up with the joneses See, and it's like and and when i heard you say that your mom said where do i go from here it's like there's so many places that you can go because there money is. isn't money. Listen, I grew up poor, so I understand the importance of money. I, I get it. Money is important, but it's only so important and it will not make you happy. It can, it can make your life comfortable. It can make things It won't easy. make you happy. It will not make you 100%, happy. No. You have to find other things, tangible things. You've got to find a purpose. You've got to find a hobby, a passion. You've got to find some, some sort of community service that you can give that is going to give you worth and give you value. Like the money is just a byproduct of all of those things. And if you're lucky enough to make a whole bunch of money, that's, you know, that's great. And you can live a different lifestyle. But if your worth and your value is in that money, like you can always have more money. 
hundred percent. So you're never going to be satisfied with the money that you have. Some of the almost unhappy people I know are multi, multi-millionaires, man. And you, you, you couldn't be more correct with that statement. And the thing is, too, how a lot of these athletes get in trouble, you just said something, too, like keeping up with the Joneses, yeah. right? So That's for, where that competition comes so in. So, for instance, let me give you an example, right? Let's say me and you are in an NFL locker room, right? Okay, I'm making, let's say I'm making a million dollars a year. That's a lot of money, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's not because you're making three. You're making three million. I want to make what Dan makes. So all of a sudden, Dan buys a new car, a Ferrari. Oh, I'm going to buy a Ferrari. No, no, you can't afford a Ferrari. I'm going to buy it anyways because Dan bought it. Oh, Dan got a new watch? Okay, but Dan makes three times what you make. See, the concept in the NFL locker room, people don't realize like they, and, and even I did it. Like, So here's an example, right? Comparison is the ultimate fact of joy. So, so here's, here's the funny thing too. I didn't even know how much money I was making in my 20s until I wasn't making it no more because- you think, you look back and you're like, man, it's kind of hard to make a half a million dollars a year. You know what I'm saying? So you're like, but when you're making it, you're like, okay, he's making two million, so half a million dollars isn't, isn't that much. I got to get to his status. So again, here comes your, here comes you not living in the present, not living in the moment. Here comes your, your ego of, I got to get better. And that's fine. Get better. Have a goal. But enjoy that you're making a half a million and, and set it up correctly. But you said if you put your worth and your happiness in it, you'll be miserable. I'll tell you a funny story. The most miserable I've ever been in my life, ever been in my life, was the day that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers put me on IR. I got injured. I was depressed. I was so sad. I was in my couch. I, I didn't even want to get out of bed. And you know what? That was the most money I ever made in my life that year. It was the same year I was the most miserable. So right there I knew that money doesn't, it, you said it could change comfort of your bank account. But if you don't obsess with something else, you're in trouble. Yeah. And that's a great point you made right there, man. Um, let's get back to NXT, WWE. You, uh, so two years in, finally having good, you know, starting to have good matches, starting to feel some success. Uh, you're starting to get your stride right within the company, finding your character, you know, which I don't think you ever really had trouble finding a character, Cause you're, you know, you are a character. <laughs> that was probably the easiest you know thing I mean? that came to me. You, but got yeah. a, you got this big personality. So that part of like being an entertainer was easy for you. You start getting the technical parts down, start finding a stride. Like how was that process of the journey for you? Um, a struggle. I think, um, you know, uh, again, I think it was the struggle of the balance. I say a struggle because I think it was the balance of my expectations versus their expectations versus where I should have been at at that moment in my career. And I think one of the things that really helped me was when Triple H put me in a tag with Riddick Moss. Um, Triple H pulled us both aside, and he said that, Tino, what you need to work on, Riddick Moss is good at. Riddy Moe. Riddy Moe. Riddy Moe, that boy's talented. He said, what, so the, I think the, one of the biggest changing parts of my career in that developmental was uh, – when Triple H tagged me with Riddick Moss, um, he pulled us both aside and he said to me, he said, Tino, he said, what you need to work on, Riddick Moss is, is really good at. And he turned to Riddick and kind of said the same thing. He said, Riddick, what, what Tino is good at, uh, you need to kind of work on. And I think me was, Riddick was really good at the psychology and actually the, the pace in the ring and the wrestling aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was really Moe's strength. I think my strength was kind of like what you touched on was, the ability to carry my character really well, um, to make the people believe that I believed mm-hmm. who I was. And that it um, factor. That it factor, exactly. So I think by teaming up Riddick and myself, for me personally, it really helped me develop into slowing everything down, 
um, into becoming a better wrestler, to putting matches together betterly, better for like a psychologist uh, standpoint of the match and to make it make sense and tell a good story. Um, it was frustrating because I felt like, you know, obviously Riddick's alpha male. Yeah. I'm alpha male. Uh-huh. I think I think it was actually probably your big alpha male yourself, but at that time I think it was probably the two biggest alpha males in the PC right. who both thought they were the best athletes in the world. Definitely. Um, well, that definitely was the case. Yeah, so it still is the case. <laughs> <laughs> and the funny thing is I feel like me and Riddick are actually better friends now that we don't tag anymore, but that's here and there there. Right, but, of course. Uh, Y'all be golfing all the time. Yeah, so, so um, at that moment it was definitely two alpha males, strong alpha males. And I remember having a talk with Bloom and I remember him saying, listen, one of your alpha males have to step down a little bit. He goes, you're a little older, you're a little wiser, step down a little bit. I said, okay. And, uh, I did. And I think, um, I think it actually helped me. I think it actually helped me. Um, I personally think Riddick taught me a lot. I'm actually grateful for, for me and Riddick tagging. Um, I hope I returned the favor and taught him a lot. Um, but, I also was very frustrated because I felt like we didn't get an opportunity as a tag. Um, now I think Triple Sounds H, similar. yeah, Sounds very so similar. yeah, you obviously you can yeah. tell your story after mine. I know you tagged it really most, so you had that experience. But um, I think Triple H had a reasoning to put us together, and I think he got everything out of that reasoning. And I think when he thought it was time to to let that go and 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 both of us go on our way, it was it was time. And I think. Um, that's the kind of the, the frustrating part for me personally because I was I was just clicking. I was hitting my stride. I was feeling so comfortable out there under the spotlight. I was feeling comfortable entertaining the fans. I love the reaction that Tino, the character, was getting. Um, and I remember when he broke us up, Riddick got hurt the next day, literally. And I felt really bad for him, but he had to do his surgery, and he's I knew he was going to be back stronger than ever. And I went off, and I had about a month run where uh, I had a lot of singles matches. I had like three main events. I had two title matches. And I remember on four different occasions, three different coaches came up to me and then another coach came up separately. And they all said, this is the best I've seen you look. This is the best I've seen you look. And this is the best. And they all said it separately. They weren't even like talking to each other. And I was getting excited because that was the first time where I was believing my character. I was believing in myself. I was like, you know what? It's time. It's time for, for the world to see the it factor of Tino. And I remember... I had Alistair Black for the championship in Gainesville. We had a 20-minute match, main event. And Terry Taylor was was the coach. And it was my first, like, it was, was my first main event. It was, it was my first singles main event for the belt. It was 20 minutes. And we went out there and put on a show. And Alistair helped me so much. And I remember walking through the curtain, and I just kind of was emotional. I remember Terry Taylor walked right up to me. He goes, this is the best I've ever seen you look, kid. He goes, you're getting it. <laughs> Went home that night. I remember they were saying about TVs that week. And I know, I thought, I thought, I didn't know, but I thought Triple H had something about me and my singles position at NXT, maybe do something on NXT TV. I was laying in bed Saturday morning, I'll never forget, and uh, Terry Taylor calls me again. And I was supposed to be off. And he says to me, he goes, hey, Tino, what are you doing? I said, honestly, just getting up, coach. He said, uh, hey, you want to be in the main event again tonight against Velveteen? I was so happy with your performance last night. I'm going to go Largo. I want to put you in the main event tonight. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Go up to Largo, face the amazing Velveteen dream. Freak accident, man. Uh, Pie never happened again. If you do it a thousand more times, he went to drop kick me in his comeback, and he put his foot right in between the, uh, the muscle junction of my pectoral muscle right here, and he pushed off as I t- kind of just like tensed up to give him a good brace, 
and I just felt something just like that. It didn't even hurt. I just felt it kind of almost disconnect and like spaz out. And uh, I was supposed to get up and bump and feed in the characters that in the terminology we use, and I couldn't get back up. And I remember he knew something was up, and uh, I said, just go up the top row, hit me with something. Match was over. I rolled to the back. Long story short, Torpec. And it's just one of those things where you look at the time, and you're like, wow. Like, you would just get, literally, I was the best I ever felt, physically, mentally, wrestling-wise. Um, I, I had a long talk with Triple H maybe three weeks prior about, literally, we, we, we were in a room for 45 minutes, and we, he just spoke how he saw me, how he saw Tino, how he saw me in the company. And it was a one-on-one, man-to-man conversation because he knew I was there for three years, and I just asked him straight up. So this Torpet comes, and I just like, wow, man, the timing couldn't be worse, like literally. But then I'm, I'm a big believer everything happens for a reason. So I, I, I dusted off quickly. I got the surgery, one of the best surgeons in the world. Um, surgery went great. Literally one of the best guy comes in, looks great. Can't even tell I had a surgery. During this time, I was going to be out six to eight months with a pectoris tear. So just from wear and tear, NFL, football, lifting, I had about eight or nine bone chips in my right elbow. I said, guys, I said, I approached WWE. I said, listen, guys, I'm out for six months, six to eight months. While I'm out, let's clean up my elbow. Pec will be great. I'll come back 100%. I'll feel great. Yeah, great idea. Called my doctor, who was the head doctor for the Bucks at the time. He was actually the head doctor for the Tennessee Titans at this time. He was in Miami. Calls me. I called him up. I said, Doc, can you slip me in for a quick elbow scope? Yeah, anything you need, come down here Wednesday. We'll slip you right in. I'm busy, but we'll slip you in. Give him my CD. Looks at, okay, we're going to slip you in tomorrow. 30-minute surgery, in and out, no problem. You'll be home in two hours. Well, 30-minute surgery turned into about a five-hour nightmare. Um, on the last piece of bone... The last, literally the last piece of bone, the tweezer they were using snapped off inside me and vanished. Damn. Vanished. They were tugging around in my arm for four and a half hours to try to get a little metal piece out. They got it out. They got the piece out. Man. But in the process, they compressed my ulnar nerve. So I wake up. And I wake up and I'm just, I hear the doctor tell me something, listen, Savvy, something went wrong, but we're okay. It's not going to, he says, not going to affect your recovery, just a little longer than we thought, blah, blah, blah. And I was still coming out of my state, but it was like, I wasn't comprehending it yet. I wake up and I am in tremendous pain. I mean, I can't feel my hand, tremendous pain. I demand the doctor to come back in because I'm like, listen, I said to the nurse, I said, this is how I make my living. This is my temple. Like we talked about earlier, I've been, I've been taking care of my body since I was born. I work out every, so I made him come back. He sits down for the, in the room for about 20 minutes, tells me what happened. I said, what, ha- what do you mean a machine broke off in my arm? Yep, broke off in your arm, et cetera, et cetera. Didn't think anything of it. He said, you'll be fine, promise. About two months goes by, I can't feel my hand. Hit your funny bone, times that by 10, all day long. I couldn't sleep. I literally woke up middle of the night, three nights in a row crying. I'm not even afraid of it, I was crying because it was that much pain. So, Long story short, three months later, I had a third surgery. The third surgery was the best neurosurgeon in the world, a country, to move my owner nerve permanently to decompress my nerve so my hand can come back. But the problem with compressing a nerve is they have no idea how long it will take to come back. It could be three months, six months, a year. It could be two years, depending on how bad the nerve was compressed, which they really can't tell. Right. So I had the surgery, the third surgery. WWE is standing behind me, very grateful. I come out of surgery. It was, it was a great surgery, really quick. Uh, and the doc says, eh, we just wait. Like nothing you can do. Can't do. Here's the most frustrating thing, Dan. Can't do rehab. Can't lift. Can't massage it. Nothing speeds up the recovery 
but the nervous mind of its own time. Time, exactly. So now, WWE Universe is asking, where's Tino? Taurus Peck, where'd he go? Um, I literally was put on the shelf for, I would say, an extra 14 months from this nerve. And you talk about a mental struggle. You talk about depression, anxiety. I learned during this process, us pro athletes, you, me, 90% of pro athletes, we are very, very obsessive personalities mm -hmm. because we obsess with becoming great with something. So when you have nowhere to put your obsessive personality, you get anxiety, you get depression. And that's a real thing. And, and to be honest with you, Dan, I personally used to kind of look at people weird and be like, oh, I got depression pills. I got to be on medication. Come on, man. Toughen up. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. like, and that's your mentality you're taught when you're a kid. Right. Suck it up. Suck it up, man. Come on. But no, it's, it's really a chemical imbalance in the brain. And I experienced it. And um, I fought back for a year. I went to therapy. I'm not afraid to men went to therapy. I, I got my body back in elite shape and I made a return. So what was, so what happened over that? Cause so I was, I was around during this period. I, I kind of, I saw all of these things starting to happen to you. You know what I mean? From the mental and emotional side. So what, what exactly, what exactly happened to you or how were you, what made you make the decision to to get a therapist, to see a therapist, because that's you know that's not a manly thing to do. It's you not. Know what I mean, like it's not. Men aren't supposed to see therapists. Men are supposed to be tough. They're supposed to suck, you know, rub some dirt on it. But I mean, we're humans, you know what Absolutely. I mean. So it's like we all go through some shit. And listen, don't be too humble yourself. It's don't humility. be too don't it's be humility. too big to like better yourself, right? So like, what was it? What was it that you were going through? You know, the depression, the anxiety. What was the, I guess, the final straw that kind of was like, hey, I need, I need to seek someone so I can kind of get out of this. Well, funk. it's funny because um, the anxiety was starting to scare me a little bit. Um, the depression, I felt like I was getting a hold of it, but the anxiety was starting to scare me. And then WWE had some therapists come to the PC and talk to the to the NXT, and they asked me personally. They said, "Listen, we know you had three surgeries last year. Would you be interested in seeing a therapist?" I said, "Yes," with no hesitation. Yes. So I said they set me up and I went to this guy named Matt who was in Orlando and uh, I went once a week for I went well I went twice a week I think for a little bit then I went once a week for about six months and um, it really helped it really did it helped from the sense was of just speaking to somebody and calming your nerves down and it's not that you it, it wasn't more of like a um like, like I, I need you to help me to do, like help me to make my next decision. It was more of about just listening, listening to what I have to say and maybe responding here and there. I think another thing that helped me a lot is meditation. I think the two things that got me, so funny thing is when I was hurt last year, um, when I was out last year, it was a mental struggle from a lot of avenues, but a lot of good came out of it. I'll tell you why. Um, we talked about football for a little while this podcast. The truth is this. I let go of football last year for the first time in five years. I let go. And I'll tell you the scenario I let it go. And what helped me was meditation and therapy. And I'll tell you what happened. I was on the field. And this is a true story. I was on the field. Um, for Rondé Barber was inducted into the Hall of Fame for the Tampa. It's called the Ring of Honor for the Buck Stadium. So I got invited. So I'm in the tunnel. And... 
Now, again, I didn't watch football for three years when it was done. And I couldn't even enjoy a game for maybe four or five years. I was so bitter. So I'm in the stadium, and we're about to go off on the field for halftime. And I'm literally in the tunnel, Dan. And I look to my right, and I look to my left. I got Warren Sapp, Derek Brooks, Mike Allstott, Warwick Dunn, Rondé Barber, Trent Dilford. Uh, and I'm looking. We walk out, and I'm standing in the middle of the field. And I look up. I look around. I see 50,000 fans. And I was like, wow. I played with these guys. Like, I did it. And I literally remember all the anger I had of not making as much money as I wanted to or not playing as long as I wanted to or not making a Pro Bowl. It just went like this. It just fell, it fell off me. And I remember sitting in the middle of in the, in the uh, field and I smiled. And I was so happy because for the first time, not the first time, but for the time I really realized I accomplished something special. And you know what it is? Nobody could ever take that from me. People want to judge my career. People want to judge uh, I didn't live up to what everyone hyped me up to be or whatever, but nobody could ever take away my accomplishments. And that second round pick, I started in the NFL. I played with the greats. I was there. And I let it go. And I remember letting it go. And I felt like because I was meditating and I was living in the moment, I was in the present moment with the therapy and the meditation, it allowed me to let it go. And I let it go. And that was a big hurdle for me last year. So then you asked me, you know, about the therapy. So then I feel like at that moment in time, I said, okay, just like we talked about, I put four and a half years in a craft in WWE. There's no way I'm, I'm, I'm not going to display what I learned right. and what I mastered. So at that moment, you know, I came back and I worked my butt off to get cleared and I fought these doctors to get to clear my nerve. And, and, you know, we're in the current situation we are today. Yeah. Which, you know. Right. That's so... Just real quick, touch on, we talked about not being, for people out there, not living in the future, right? Staying in the present moment. But that goes for living in the past as well. 100%. You know what I mean? What 100%. you did was you had a breakthrough because you let go of something the that past. was in the past. 100%. And like it brought over you this this sense of joy, this peace. You know what I mean? You came, you came to like this place of happiness no longer judging yourself for yep. for something that you know you thought you could have done better, should have gotten more out of. Like you just looked back at it and you were like, "I did this, and this was freaking awesome. I did something that the majority of the human beings on this planet will never do, yep. and I did it, and I loved it, and I'm proud of it, and I'm ready to move on." Yep, you and know, that, and I let it go. And and you know what's crazy you said about the past. Joe Dispenza, who I listen to a lot on YouTube, the meditation doctor, the, the doctor all about the brain, he says 75% of the time we're living in the past. And when, when he said that to me, and then he said, when I was listening to his YouTube video and he was saying that, like a little light bulb went on with me, that you're actually, you're actually allowing past experiences, past people in your past, exes, coaches, if you do not let them go, they're actually dictating your mood today. Right. They're dictating how you enjoy life today. And then when I heard that, I was like, I almost pulled my car over. I was listening to the car and I was like, wow, because it's the truth. Like I was letting football, like I couldn't enjoy a Sunday anymore. And, and I look back, I'm like, why, why did I do that for four years? So like you said, you're a very good point. That's why living in the present is very important. But like, if you don't let go of your past, it will haunt you. hundred mm -hmm. percent haunt you. Oh yeah, man. What, uh, so like, what is your, so what is your meditation? Cause I have my own little meditation practice that I do every day. And, uh, 
So what what is your meditation process look like, if you don't mind sharing? So I was very routine for a while. I actually broke my routine a little bit the last couple months, weeks, I would say weeks. I got to get back into it now with the whole quarantine and yeah. kind of going back and forth from my house in Tampa, my house in South Florida. Um, but when I was felt my best, my routine was I'd have a little morning routine. I would get up. Um, I would make a fresh juice. I would uh, clean that up, and I would literally go out back, and I would I would I would kind of build my time. Now, listen, I'm not afraid to admit it. Um, you know, it, people joke around about the, the the ability to you know obviously attention ADD. They make a joke, but like it, it's hard for me to sit there for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes to really be. So I started small. I went you know 10 minutes, 12 minutes, 15 minutes. And I built up every, I would say every week I would add two minutes to it. Okay. So I got up to about 25 minutes. Um, but mine was just, everybody has their different techniques. Mine was more, I would put a timer on and I would literally not allow myself to open my eyes until the timer went off. But I would just go through phases of breathing. Um, I would go through phases of what I wanted to accomplish that day. I, uh, phases of what I wanted to accomplish in life. How I visualized my life, and I would just kind of bounce around. Sometimes I just let my mind just kind of wander, bring it back. And I, re I remember learning that the art of meditation is not not thinking about something. You're yeah. always gonna think about something. It's about the ability to bring it back to the present love moment. That, let that thought kind of pass through. Hundred percent holding on to it. So that's where I felt the most comfortable. And um, I I remember people were coming up to me during that time I was really hitting it hard every morning was just saying that your, your, your presence was different. You're, you're happier. And I think knowing that makes me excited to continue to work in meditation and go forward with it. Um, and I'll be the first one to say the last couple of weeks, I haven't been that good with it. Um, because I actually got a new puppy and, uh, He's up at seven o'clock and I'm taking him out, you know, uh -huh. feeding him, cleaning his cage. So it kind of breaks my morning routine a little bit, uh -huh. but, um, that's no excuse. So I got to get back to it. Um, but I know for a fact when I'm consistent with it and I'm in a routine, I a hundred percent feel the difference. Mm -hmm. I can definitely state that right now. Oh yeah. So you come back from injury four years, you got a skill set, right? You got this skill set. Five that, years now. I'm five years. Yeah, yeah, five years now. So you're coming back from this injury that was only supposed to be six to eight months. Ended up being, what, two years, right? Two almost. Years, almost two years. Almost two years. And you decided, I'm not done with this. Nope. I got a skill set. I want to, you know, I want to monetize this. You know, I've got value to add to this world. I want to give value to the world, and I'm not done with this yet. So you come back. Absolutely come back you start training you're in the performance center getting back into shape into wrestling shape so getting into the groove your timing and all of those things yep so like you said um there was a lot behind the scenes too because uh i play a character that is a lead athlete it's who i am but i play a character that's a lead athlete who's in elite shape mentally and physically and you have to get there physically to get there mentally if that makes any sense yeah so if I don't feel, and that's the thing in this industry, it's a believability aspect. If I play a character, I better feel it, right? So now I'm in a situation where three surgeries, getting a little older. Okay, well, you either look in the mirror and say, let's go, or you don't. And I had to look in the mirror and say, let's go. So I got myself back into elite shape mentally and physically yeah. to play a character that I believe in, that I believe has an it factor, that I believe that fans don't like or like. But that's the most important thing is that it draws them to this fan. And that's where I think is something special. And I believe that to this day. So 
I worked my butt off, I came back. And the truth is, I was grateful for the opportunity to come back. But the best thing is, I didn't need to come back, in a sense. You know what I'm saying? Um, I wanted to come back. And I think when you want to be somewhere, you 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 approach that differently too. You know what I'm saying? There's a different passion in that. So I wanted to be back, and I was so excited to be back. So I came back, and I got cleared. Um, I uh, got cleared by all the doctors, and I started working live shows. Bloom put me on a couple live shows, and it was fun to be back. Yeah, my timing was a little off, um, but that was to be expected. Yeah. We did a couple of promos, and he was really excited. I remember he called me in the office literally after my first like gauntlet match. I had like three matches in one, a couple of promos. And he actually said to me that the whole him and a lot of the coaching staff was very impressed at how good I looked on like the first time back after two years. He was really excited. I remember him telling me, all right, you know, it's time to get up out of here. Let's go. Like, he was very excited. We, he was very encouraging. We, we sat and watched a couple matches together, and I went off on my way. And uh, the more and more I performed, the more and more I got the itch to keep, keep going. And then uh, I had a couple little feuds with Denzel, got my first chair shot in. Um, <laughs> and uh, that was actually the show I watched you. Uh, and I thought you were, I thought your improvement was, was unbelievable. I thought you looked amazing in the ring, by the way, um, from every aspect, but, um, I was excited to be back that night. And that was as of now, my last match that we've had since this quarantine's gone on. But obviously, uh, you know, a lot's happened right now with this coronavirus. Right. That's been unfortunate for a lot of people's jobs, careers, health, um, Everything. This this coronavirus has affected the world that I don't think any of us saw coming. No. I mean, we really didn't. And um, I didn't see it coming. And I know uh, the news has broken social media that WWE and NXT and, and Tino Sabatelli has um, parted ways as of now. Um, and uh, I haven't really been on social media yet. I haven't been on Instagram about it or Twitter about it. Kind of let it all soak in. Yeah. You know, I had a long talk with Canyon Seaman and uh, Matt Bloom. Um, about the situation. Um, I don't think they agreed with the situation or happy with the situation because they know what I went through to come back. But um, again, you know, Vince McMahon had a four low and let go of, I think, like 35 or 40% of the, yeah, the 40 employees. 40% of the 40% employees. Of employees yeah. and, and I got caught in that 40%. And I know I've been out two years and I'm not on TV with NXT, but um, I believe I, I I could bring something special to this industry. So this is not going to be the end-all, be-all for, for by any means. Um, but that being said, you know, I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity they gave me, but I'm far from done, you know, and, and that's the mindset I have, you know, and that's just being the reality of, it. I'm just, I'm just breaded differently and I'm, and I'm breaded differently from a sense where, um, we touched on it earlier too. I'm not going to, Matt, I am not going to, um, put all my effort into a craft and try to master a craft and, and inherit and get these skill sets just throw it to the wayside. And throw it to the wayside. And and that's something that I'm now uh, very, very, uh, I guess the word is uh, determined. Because, you know, um, I understand that this is situational. And I understand they had to let some people go because of the situation. Yeah. But I don't think you let a guy like Tino go. In, 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 a, in a character presence, I'm saying. Hell no, bro. In, 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 in Hell that, no. In, you don't let Tino go, that, bro. In, in, <laughs> you don't let Tino Sabatelli go. You know what I but mean? That, that's just the confidence that I that I hold in my character. You know what I'm saying? And that's something that... But that confidence comes from a real place. But it's a real place. But I think that's what this industry is about, is about the believability yeah, of, for sure. of making everybody know that you believe what you are. And I remember... I'll never forget Mark Henry 
was talking to a group of us at WrestleMania about three or four years ago. And I just kind of like stumbled upon this conversation. I was standing in the back minding my own business. And the best thing I heard him is the, is the only thing that stuck out for me. I listened to about 20 minutes. And the thing he said to me goes, the one thing he said, guys, listen, the most important thing is this. When you walk through that curtain, you better believe who you are. Because if you don't believe, they won't believe. And the thing is this. Um, I believe, oh, I know Tino Sabatelli is one of the most elite athletes to ever step foot in this industry. You can Google me. This, this, this isn't, this isn't he say, or he, I remember say. the first time I saw you move when I, when I came here, you know what I mean? Cause I love watching people. I love watching people move. I, I just, I have a passion for watching the body move in space. And I remember the first time I saw you run. And I was like, oh, damn, that boy is on another level. <laughs> like, you like you can run, run, bro. Where did you see me you run? Like, run. in the turf? Like, yeah, it was just in the performance center. And yeah, that I turf is only, that performance center turf's only, what, 30 yards? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 30, 40 yards, something like that. But I just saw you just take off and glide. I'm like, oh, damn. And then I saw you jump, and I was just like, <laughs> damn, this boy's got some next level explosion athleticism. Yeah. So, like, without a doubt, one of the easily one of the best athletes to be signed ever by the WWE. Yeah, and, and, and that's something that... Um, but more importantly than that, because that's great, one of the most important things uh, that you bring to the table is your presence. You come out there and you look... I mean, dude, you look like a freaking... Like a Greek god, right? You come out there chiseled abs you know what i mean you got them you got them sexy ass abs bro you got them you got them cover model abs yeah. you know what hard I work, mean? man dedication for Hell 25 yeah. years bro Hell yeah it is you got yep. great physique great body great athleticism appreciate that but more than just that because i've seen dude listen i've seen a shit ton of just jacked yoke dudes that look great and come out and like they can't move the needle worth nothing of course but when you come out there you are able to just get people to lose their minds bro like, when you come out, you can always guarantee, you know what I mean? Because you're playing it. When, when I can guarantee, when Tino Sabatelli comes out through the curtain, two things are about to happen. Whether you're a heel or a baby face, which you've been playing a heel predominantly, yep, yep. you're going to come out and people are going to lose their minds and start booing. <laughs> and all the girls the second thing that's gonna happen all the girls in that building are just screaming their that's lungs funny. out bro you can always i may be in the back getting ready for a match and if you're on before me bro and i just start hearing some girls screaming bloody murder i know tino i'm like oh tino came out i'm talking about <laughs> yo listen this boy got girls screaming that's funny. bloody murder like someone's out there murdering her <laughs> i'm like yo what is, i was like what is happening these girls just screaming for the man out there man. so more that's than half the, the battle though that's half the battle people reaction you dude, need people to react you, i always say this especially in entertainment you either got it or, or you, you don't. don't yep there's certain things that are just unteachable. You can you can learn you can you can build a body. You can eat right, train right. You can yep. build a body. You can learn techniques. You can learn the fundamentals. You can learn psychology, right? But there's just something 
about this, and we call it the it factor, charisma, personality, whatever it is, whatever this thing is that we know what it is, but we're not quite sure what it is, so we can't put a name on it, so we say it's the it factor. You got it, bro. You got it. it. So do you, man. You know you do too. So call spade a spade, brother. Hey, man. You know what I mean. Just a you know a couple (laughs) thoroughbreds over here sitting, chatting, talking, having a good time. He's being a little modest, but those girls we stream when Dan comes out too. Don't don't, don't let it fool you, man. But you know what? Like you said, it's it's, and I think that's what it comes down to in believing who you are, believing who you are and the character you're portraying, man. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, you know. I think if I had to look at myself and break myself down and, and, and critique myself, that's something that, um, that, and that's what Triple H said to me about what Riddick was. The one thing I was great at, well, not really good at, was my presence, the way I carried my character, the way I made people believe my character. And, um, you know, the wrestling part is very, very, very important as well. And I think that's one I struggled with for a little while. Because you just said something about when you watched me run, how explosive I am. I was a very, that's what I was gifted for, was a very explosive athlete. I mean, I ran a 4'3", 4'4", 225, I could fly. Speed, speed, real speed. And I was real speed. Yeah, and not even that, my change of direction, I broke the record to combine. Uh-huh. Um, I, I held the com, combine record for seven years. So, which dr- what drill? in the short shuttle. Short shuttle. I ran a 388. Okay. So that's where you start in the middle. You got well, t- five, so there's ten. 10 yards. So there's 10 yards of space. You start in the middle of that 10 yards. You run one direction, five yards, plant, run 10, ten yards the yep. next direction, plant, five yards, timer stops. Yep. So it's just pure acceleration, deceleration, yep. acceleration, deceleration, acceleration. It shows um, how explosive, strong, and athletic an athlete is because it's ability to literally stop and turn on a dime and, and explode out of your brakes. Yes. So, again, and this is something that why uh, I believe – that I am the greatest or one of the greatest athletes ever set foot here because you can Google me, brother. Like, <laughs> and, and, and this is something, <laughs> I, and this is, I mean this in a humbling way in a sense where I don't speak much on on Instagram or on, on, on social media about my character yet because I was, I had, I had a thought process of when I'm going to open up. And I hear a lot of these characters talking about, and they, they throw the world, a word around elite too much for me, athletic wise, right? And that's why I think Tino, the character is something different to this industry that I could bring because, um, I'm not lying. Yeah. This is who I am when I wake up. You know what I'm saying? I, when, when, when I wake up, this is who I am. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in my three-piece suit. I'm going to get in my Maserati or one Ooh. of my cars, and I'm going to drive to the arena, and I'm going to put on a show. Uh-huh. And that's what people don't like. Uh-huh. They don't like that. They uh-huh. like that. That's, that's who I really am. Right. And um, like we talked about, man, uh, I haven't spoke on the release yet that much. It's about only about a little week and a half. Um you know, my mom always said, unless you want to say something that you know, want to say something great, don't say something at all yet. So I've kind of not said much. Um, I am very grateful to WWE. I am very uh, thankful and grateful for the opportunity they gave me five years ago. Of course. Um, they gave me an incredible opportunity to come still be a professional entertainer, professional athlete. And I was actually, at that point in my life, I was down. You know, I was depressed. I was couldn't get back in the NFL. So they gave me, they kind of um, gave me a second chance, a, a second motivation. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, and for that, I'm extremely grateful for that. Um, I don't agree with this outcome. Um, and I know it, some of it's circumstantial. The coronavirus hit. I've been out two years. But um, they haven't seen the last of me, man. And I, I believe that in, 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 in a couple of different ways. And I think uh, I can deliver something in this industry special. And, and I'm going to continue to work on that. 
And so, I think it's a, it's a, it's a missed opportunity right now in Tino. But, um, that being said, uh, I'm very excited to continue to humble myself and work harder and harder. Hell yeah. I'm happy to hear that. Cause I wanted, I, I am glad that I'm happy to hear that you're not done with this No, Cause I, I, I'm, I'm with you on the fact that you got something to offer this world. You know what I mean? And I think something that pro wrestling is missing is what you can offer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I appreciate that. I mean, and you're in the same boat, man. You know, I don't know how much you want to talk about your situation, but I mean, you had your six, nine, 300 pounds with a presence yourself, man. And, right. uh, you know, I think, uh, this industry, our, um, our situations are similar, uh, in the regards that we weren't even given opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We weren't even given opportunities to that's, fail that's or the hard, succeed. So what you just said that right there. That's the pill I can't swallow. Right. And and, and I think you, you just said it right there. And um, that's the the four-year-old of me of when I was the most competitive kid in the world. I couldn't even play video games because I would throw the controller and break it. <laughs> so the thing is this. I'm not going to sit here and and dedicate myself for five years to NXT and I'll be honest with you. I, I I started from the bottom. I humbled myself. I was I was miserable living in Orlando. I just was. Yeah. Um, no social life. We were working. When I first signed here, we were working six days a week, sometimes 14, 15-hour days, driving to Jacksonville and back the next day, going to Tampa and yeah. back. And I dedicated. Those are hard, bro. Those are hard, those those are are hard Listen, dude. Those driving. are hard days. And I'm not going to walk away from something that, like you said, without getting a legit opportunity. Because you know, if you get a legit opportunity and you fail, yeah. Okay, you failed. If you succeed, you succeed. But if you don't get that, ooh, I don't know, man. Yeah. I'm just I'm just bred differently in a sense where my mindset's different. And I I am a, a true competitor at the highest level. I am, you know, I thrive off another man looking me in the eye and say I'm better than you. I love that opportunity. <laughs> I love it. Right. Right? Oh, I'm going to outwork you today. Okay? Let's go. Let's see. Let's go. Let's see. And I, I hope you brought your hard hat and your exactly. lunch pail. I hope you brought it all. I hope you brought it because we're we're about to put in some overtime and, and, today. And that's that's where I'm at. When I got that phone call, that was 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 mine. Um, you know, uh, understanding that. Uh, no, nah, bro, I never got my shot. And you guys both know. I mean, I never got a real opportunity. And 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 I won't walk away from there because I've had. And just like yourself, a lot of people have told you, and a lot of people have told myself. Um, you know, when Vince sees you in that spotlight, he, he, he could see the hit factor quick. And I think a lot of people told me personally they felt my character was better suited for a Raw or SmackDown. Right. Um, but that's just hearsay, she say stuff. And right. I kind of. Well, it's just a different show. The, different you know show. what I mean? Each show has, has their like, strength. Yeah. They have like their little niches. Each show Absolutely. has something different. You know what yeah. I mean? And NXT is great for what they they what they provide. Yeah, hell yeah, I mean, dude! Those guys are they, those guys are amazing in what they do in the ring. I mean, man. dude, we've been training with those dudes for five years. You know what I mean? 100%. I've learned a lot from all of those guys. You know what I mean? You learn a lot from the coaches, the producers, right? But you learn in this industry, you truly learn from your peers. Yeah, and you learn from your peers that have been in the game for a while. Hundred percent. And like we've had the opportunity to be around some of the best, you know, workers in the world. 100%. And I've been able to learn from those guys, you know, and yeah. like go out there and perform and compete and, and 
compete you know what i mean and like out in front of an audience a live audience and learn and build your craft over all these years yeah um so like dude you know it's no knock on nxt i love what nxt does oh no it's no it's just a, a it's different it's just a different style 100%. of wrestling it's where you of fit. entertainment yeah. right listen and and to be honest you know you know i i heard the same things that you would hear all the time it's like oh you're not you're not made for nxt you're gonna go straight to the you know to raw or smackdown right but it's like now that NXT is on USA, it's like, well, why not? 100%. But why couldn't a guy like us fit there? Because it's like, yo, we'd be so different. And you would add an element to the show because it's like, yo, let's for, not forget this. This is a weekly episodic television 100%, show. 100%. Wednesday night. And it's like, yo, let's have different care. It's like the circus, you know? Yeah. In terms, of you go to the circus, you're getting, you're going to see the bearded lady. You're going to see the strong man, the sword swallower, yeah. the fire spitter, the trapeze artist. Like, they're all spectacular in their own right because they're all so different. 100%. So it's like, yo, let's put different character, crazy different contrasting character shapes and sizes and colors all I together. Agree with you more. Because that's how you tell crazy stories. That's how you do David versus Goliath or you do, you know, the elite, you know, versus yeah. like the, the, you know, the, the, the low man, you know, the 100%. underdog, those things. That's how you build those stories of on the opposite side of the spectrum. That's where you build, you know, that's where you invest. That's where you get people drawn in. That's how you hit every home demographic, all the different people. You want to try and get as many people f from all different places. That's the thing that's great about pro wrestling is that you got so many different characters. So many different personalities. So many yep. different flavors that yep. you pull in all the kids and all the, you know, even the adults that come in and want to see all these different characters and when you have all those different the contrasting flavors you come up with just a you know a, just a tasty ass recipe 100 you can sell man. to everybody and, and, and you know what and that's when wrestling is at its best you you hit the nail on the head and, and like i said i would never tell a guy like triple h how to run it because he's done an incredible incredible job i mean the guy built nxt the guy has they, I mean, they literally twenty. They literally celebrated him yesterday. The guy's had a tremendous career in every aspect. This, 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 um, this organization, and he's he's obviously the man. The one thing, like us saying or me saying that I didn't think I fit in NXT, has nothing to do with him. I think it's just the character that I play versus character you play. But it's it's something that um, I don't like. You said I don't know if they they build a story where our characters per se of like a guy like you especially who's six nine three hundred pounds who's built like you know an athletic machine it's they don't i don't know that that's what the nxt is trying to portray you know what i'm saying so i think that's where we're like when we both say that but it's no disrespect like because I, I don't mean any disrespect by it but it's just one of those things where just like in a defense or an offense not every quarterback or not every receiver fits good in in offense, like you know, you look at a lot of systems, and styles exactly. of play. You, know you, you look at a lot of receivers that are successful in one system that don't go to another system and, and, and don't play at all. Right. So it's just one of those things where I don't know. It's just that uh, that's what I and, and I wanted. You know, Triple H is one of gaming opportunities. So I would love to perform in NXT. I would love to be able to bring my character to the main stage. Um, it's just as of right now, I just never got the opportunity. So what is the next move going forward now for you? You know. Um, obviously, um, with the quarantine going on and the world kind of right, shut down, it's kind of shut down. Um, I'm just right now just trying to kind of, uh, to stay in great shape, stay on my regiment, trying to stay in the gym. You know, I got a little private gym in my house. Uh, 
And when the world kind of turns back on, I think in the next couple months, I'm going to get some feelers out there of, of what Tino's next move is um, and maybe where I could perform and uh, what industries I could perform with. And, uh, you know, I'd be extremely humbled and it'd be a privilege to go somewhere and be able to put what I believe a character that, that draws great presence and great demand of the ring and continue to, you know, work on my craft to get better in the ring. Um, because like I told you, man, I'm just not breaded like this, man. I'm not breaded to walk away because, uh, you don't have anything for me on TV right now. I'm just not like that. That, that excuse to me that we just don't have anything for you right now. Okay. Well, I'll make sure next time that I work hard enough to make sure you guys have to have something for me. Yeah. You know, if that makes any sense. So, um, and it's just on me. It's, it's like, again, humbled, grateful, thankful for WWE. I'm so grateful for where they put me today, but yeah, they re-motivated me too. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, bro. Hey man, anybody, Hey, when this, so when this quarantine opens back, you know, shuts, you know, is back open, the world's running again. If you're a company, if you're a wrestling promoter out there, you're looking <laughs> for some young, successful studs out there, some thoroughbreds, my man, Tino Sabatelli is on the, is a free agent now, and you would be a damn fool if you didn't <laughs> sign this dude. AEW, TNA, Independence, anybody, Japan, I don't, get your checkbook out. Write this man the money that he needs. <laughs> you too, Dan. Put him, put him in. Hey, listen. Listen, the world's good. Y'all are going to find out about me. You I know what I mean? It, I'm man. in the same boat as you. I love I'm it. in the same boat as you. A little bit different because I asked for my release. Yep, yep. You know what I mean? Because I had kind of come to a boiling point. I was frustrated with the way things were going. And I thought, you know, just like you, I have this. I, wrestling is wrestling's much like comedy in, this, in the sense that, like, you don't need to be told that you're funny. You know you're funny because you go out there, you tell a joke, and everybody laughs, you know? And it's like, I don't need somebody to tell me that I'm good or if I'm good enough because I go out there, and I got the reactions from the fans. The fans were invested in my matches. They, you know, I would, they would make the noise. The noise was all that I needed to 100%. know, you know what I mean? And you're doing a good job. And, like, it was, it was, so it was just like I knew I know my worth. It's similar to you. I know my value. And, and you have to hold that confidence, though. They should respect that. Like, if any media or any things hears this podcast, I don't want anybody running and, and trying to say we sound egotistical or this. That has nothing to do with that. Because I'll tell you something. To be successful in a professional industry, in sports, entertainment, anything, you better have the most confidence you could ever yeah. have. And if you, ain't, if you ain't thinking you're the best out there, then you're in the wrong situation. The only people that think that would think that this conversation was an arrogant conversation or that you have arrogance in yourself or I have arrogance in myself are people that are insecure with themselves. But if you're, if you're truly a secure person in yourself, you just know that we're too confident human beings in our abilities. And rightfully so, because the confidence was built through competence. That's why they came to get us years ago. Yeah. They saw the way you carried yourself. They saw the way I carried myself. They loved it. So it's something that they helped mold us into this, but they loved it before they even came yeah. to us with this. Yeah, man. I, you know, I've, I've already kind of touched on uh, how, you know, how I feel about everything. I, you know, I put a statement out, uh, you know, maybe like a week and a half ago about, or a week ago with my injury, you know, just kind of stating about the car accident and then about my release. I did an IG live and just was like, Hey, this is what happened. And then I was released. You know, I had asked for my release and it, it was just, I know, I know how good I am. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I know how much value I provide to a company 
because I know no matter how good I am, I'm only I'm only as good as the person that I'm in the ring with. But I know if you put me in the ring with somebody else who is good or of equal talent, we are going to make a shit ton of money. See, that's another thing that um that challenged me. So I don't know how I this is how I was when I was growing up, right? So it was actually, uh, my strength was a part of my weakness in the sense of this. In college, if you look back at all my best games my senior year, it was all against the number one team, number 10 team, number 15 team, and number 20 team in the country, right? But then when we played like Arizona or Washington, I had like subpar games. So my coach pulled me in office one day and said, hey, Savvy, what's going on, man? You, you didn't play that good yesterday. Coach, you were playing Arizona. Okay, we played number one team in the country. Who shows up? I show up. It's a good thing. It's a bad thing. But the good thing about it is this. When you're in the ring with somebody who's better than you, because you guys, we all both know in this industry, you can't look good in the ring and your opponent can't look bad. It's not going to happen. You guys right. got to look good together. You got to make each other look good. So for me, my whole thing was I was inviting to get in the ring with like the Revival. They're the best in the industry. The Revival is the best in the company by far. Ty Dillinger, Perfect 10, was an incredible wrestler when I was with me in NXT. He helped me jump. So the point I'm trying to say is this. Sometimes I was looking for that challenge that I needed to get challenged. I, I would love to get in the ring with a Randy Orton or a John Cena or, or a Roman Reigns or right. because I think I'm breaded. My personality is going to live up to that, right? But in this industry, they want to make sure you're ready. And I get that because there's a lot of moving parts and I, and I appreciate that. But sometimes you have to adapt. Like we talked about earlier, everybody's different. You have to adapt to every superstar differently. Everybody reacts differently to things. Some people love pressure. Some people don't like pressure. Some people like to be on the spotlight. Some people don't like to be on the spotlight. Some people like to be pushed to a limit. Some people don't like to be pushed to a limit. So that's where you have to find out who you are as a person. But like you said, you put me in the ring with somebody who's a lot better than me, I have to live up to that. I have to rise up to their standards. Right. And that's motivation, man. Oh, yeah. So. Hey, man. I think uh, this is a good place, man. I think we've been going for like three hours. Dude, this is crazy, man. What time is it? <laughs> I feel like we could probably talk for another three oh, hours. We've been going for like two and a half hours, dude. Uh, it's 10 o'clock. Um, is there anything you you want to plug right now? Social media, anything coming up for you? Any charities? Anything you want to just uh, bring some attention to right now? Uh, I'm going to be starting a YouTube channel soon. Okay. Probably with my trainer down south um, of workouts and daily routines of what made me um, you know, an all-American fo college football player, a uh, second-round draft pick NFL player, and a WWE superstar. Kind of go with that, and um, that's going to be launching hopefully next couple months, maybe next month or so. Okay. Um, I will address social media probably before this comes out, but I will address social media on my release and what's going on and be grateful for everything. But um, nothing in particular. Just uh, I want to wish everyone safety through this quarantine. I hope yeah. everyone's family's safe. Uh, I hope everyone's kind of following the, the social distancing and staying home. I know it's getting frustrating, but listen, man, wash your hands, stay home. I don't want to sound like a broken record, but this is something we got to control and, and, and take part. And if we all do our part, we all do a little part, it'd be a lot. So, yeah. Uh, listen, first of all, again, appreciate you having me on your show, man. It was a pleasure. The pleasure was mine, bro. And you look great, bro, Thank for you, you being in a car accident, bro. I'll tell you something. That, that's, that's amazing, bro. Real talk. So Appreciate that. Thanks, bro. Grateful. Blessed to be here, bro. Thank you Should for being be, on man. the drop. Thank you, man. Love you, big homie. Love you, buddy. Appreciate it, man. <laughs> Be ready for the truck. Be ready for the truck. Be ready for the truck. Be ready for the truck.